Welcome to the Flail Podcast. This is Troy. And Byers. And Lori. What's ah. up? <laughs> <laughs> this is a Late Nights at Blockbuster. Um, and uh, as you can tell, we have a third person uh, here um, on the podcast today. Um, as we discuss one of our favorite films. And the reason that Lori is here is because she is the expert uh, in our group of people on all things Lord of the Rings, which is the movie that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, we're going to do all three movies from the trilogy. And we're going to be talking in, in about... In three separate podcasts. You're, not, you're yeah. not sitting down for all three right now. Don't worry. Don't uh, worry. It's, we're not trying to do our version of uh, Return of the King Extended Edition here. We're not Zack Snyder. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, as I mentioned, we'll be talking about uh, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring, uh, starring Elijah Wood, Sean Astin, Viggo Mortensen, and Ian McClellan, again, amongst others, many others, many, um, many as we'll others. get into a, a little bit later. Uh, movie was released in 2001, directed by Peter Jackson. Uh, screenplay is written by Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, which is his wife, and their writing partner, uh, Philippa Boyens. And it's based, of course, on the beloved novels that are written by J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, so uh, the we'll we'll start with the intro, and then we'll go into a little bit of uh, a little bit of our introduction. So this is just the if you don't know about Lord of the Rings, like where have you been? Where have you been? You've been in where a Hobbit Hall in the middle of New Zealand, apparently. Um, so, so our intro from IMDb that we like to do um, to just get uh, set the stage for everything is a meek hobbit from the Shire and eight companions set out on a journey to destroy the powerful one ring and save Middle Earth from the Dark Lord Sauron. It's pretty all encompassing whenever you think about it, but uh, uh, so let's let's jump into uh, um, uh, the the introduction of why Lori's here. Lori, how many times have you read Lord of the Rings? A lot, like a lot. I don't know how many times. Uh, my dad read it to me when I was like 10 or 11 and I've probably read through it, including The Hobbit, about every two years since. So, and I'm old, so we'll call it like 15, 20 times maybe. So you do it every two years because that's how long it takes you, right? Like that, that's how long these books take me. So that's why well, I read them fast. It takes me about a month, but then she you know you have to process. Yeah, <laughs> it's so fast. Like I still haven't ever actually read them. I've tried. I've set out on you when we read it to the boys. You this were is, you were there. This is you were there. You were sleeping part of that time, but you <laughs> that's were just there. waiting for a name to get pronounced correctly. Like really? some of the names. That's what's so killer in these books. I mean, not only are they incredibly long which is okay long long can be good but like there's so many things that can just bog you down mm. like, well, that's, I, i'm what, i'm an uh, epic nerd like i read the appendices i study like the family trees ooh. like i've mostly read the cimmerillion i haven't made it all the way through that one because that one's dense it's like reading a history book um and oh. it's parts of it are in another language and i'm not like i'm a nerd don't get me wrong i'm pretty pretty far on the nerd scale here, but I'm not quite to like the speaking Elvish level of nerd. Um, that's that New Year's resolution right there. I want to hear, <laughs> I want to hear some Elvish by, by 2022. Yeah. I, I'll tell on myself. Byers, you have, you, you've read these. Sounds like you, you were just about to say that you, you finished it, right? I did. I did make it through once, once. and I'm good. I'm good. I don't think I need to, uh, do that. I've done the Hobbit several times, but yeah. I've, I've only done the, Lord of the Rings once. 
Yeah, I've read The Hobbit twice, um, but I've I've started The Lord of the Rings. I've started Fellowship three different times by myself, and then we started reading it during COVID. Like, or actually, the, the, right, right, before right before COVID, COVID started. Hit. So January, we were like, "Hey, we're gonna read Lord of the Rings this year." We we were like, by the end of December, we'll probably finish it. And then COVID hit, and we were able to read it every single night, and didn't yeah. have anywhere to go. So we finished, so finished it, it in by like, like June. that summer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, reading but it, I fell asleep. It to the kids. <laughs> I fell asleep a lot during it. I'll fully admit, <laughs> like we'll, we would just be like, it would be at the at the end of the day, um, and I would just be like sitting in the recliner, and then all of a sudden, Lori's like, "Hey, what you doing? Are you sleeping? <laughs> no." <sighs> so I'll fully admit that I I do need to go back and actually read it, but I've read most of it um, enough to know. Um, that it is difficult. It's a difficult uh, translation from if you really love the movies and you try to go, oh, I'm going to read that book. It's a very big gap, I think, from the visual treatment that it gets in the movies. And I think that some people like Lori that are so like in love with the books see it as a probably a pop culture representation of the books that you love would that yeah. be a fair assessment i mean there there are things that i really loved about the books that didn't make it into the movies and there's some things i loved about the books that didn't make it into the movies the way it is in the book it might have happened in the movies just not at the same place and time or not the same character was involved but the dialogue is there but it's somebody else saying it in the movie um, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff, which we'll get to in either the quibble section or uh, the new section I'm going to be dumping into your uh, into your lineup here. That's going to be the book is always better, um, but that's going to be a Lori special there. Uh, but we'll talk about that. Um, okay. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's when you're in love with the characters and then you get to see that visual representation, it was super cool. Like if we're getting into the, what did you love? Like, I loved all the things because I had been a Lord of the Rings nerd before it was cool. And just seeing New Zealand was Middle Earth. The way they made the whole country of New Zealand work with, you know, the different locations and settings. Like it was, those were the things I really loved. It it felt like you were in Middle Earth when you watched those movies. It wasn't, things that were in my head came to true life. Some things were a little different than how I had imagined them, but just the visuals of it were spot on. Loved it. I mean, that's what's so awesome about Lord of the Rings. It's probably one of the two. It's like, if you're talking book adaptations in the movies, you're talking Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, right? Is there anything else in that stratosphere that you can think of that's even close to that? Well, and that's, you know, Harry Potter is the other series that I read every other year because it's either lord of the rings year or it's harry potter year and i read all of them you know in a, in a month or two of course i've added a couple new series that i've that i've say. been like you know <laughs> harry potter one makes well. sense those 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 are much easier to read um <laughs> those are a lot easier to read there's not like quite as much yeah exposition or world building in well harry i know potter. how to pronounce ron weasley too i don't need help trying to to fight my way through reading that name or anything as opposed to right I think Hermione was the most uh difficult to learn to pronounce for most people that was kind of the biggest stretch <laughs> and Voldemort I guess you could <laughs> you have to think about how you're pronouncing that but yeah I mean at least it was all in English right <laughs> <laughs> so so what are the what are the things that you love about this movie bars you know one of the things that really stands out uh is the cast like there's no 
there's no sore thumb that sticks out. There's no like, oh, that guy's just not that good in that role. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we bring up Harry Potter because there's going to be lots of comparisons there, I'm sure, just because of being this epic book act- adaptation. But like, there's a lot of people that don't like Dumbledore in the movies. They like have some serious problems with the way he's portrayed and some of that. And I don't think you get any of that here. Like, I mean, the book nerd will probably correct me if I'm wrong on some stuff. But I mean, just as far as like an actor's ability and how well they do in the movies, like this cast is really great and really mm-hmm. works well. And so it, it just makes for a great epic movie. And that's that's what you get. These it's great cast, these like epic, huge shots all over New Zealand, like you talked about. Um, they really do make you feel like you're in Middle Earth, like it takes you to another place. So. Yeah, that was the biggest, one of the the biggest things that I led with as well was the immersion into a different world. I had no clue. Um, I had heard about The Hobbit before. Um, I had no clue. And I had heard of The Lord of the Rings, but like literally we're sitting there and Lori's like, hey, this movie that I am desperate to go see is coming out. And this is, of course, the time. Right when we started right, dating. Right when we started dating, it was, we started dating in October of uh 2001 2001, and it was released in december of 2001 so we'd been dating for two months and i was just like sure we that was the time that we go and see every movie every night that it opening weekend opening weekend (laughs) but i had like i had heard of this and then like we had seen the uh the previews and she was just like oh my gosh that's like my favorite book of all time like we have to go see that and i was like cool now we know what we're doing in December, but I just, I was not prepared for it whatsoever. It, it was, and then of course you just see like everybody comes out of the woodwork of like, oh yeah, people dressed up, uh, right. like all the crazies. And I was like, okay, this is like on par with Star Wars and like yeah. everything else. Like I just, I just didn't know. And so, but immediately I was just drawn into the world. And I mean, just everything is just like, you're just like accepting of everything. Okay. Yep understand that understand that okay why doesn't that make sense and then i would like afterwards just being able to discuss some of those things that i that they didn't explain very well in the theatrical cuts which is why we'll talk about extended cuts later um it it it, it just gets you more excited about going and reading the source material which is exactly what i'm sure peter jackson would would want for people and i kind of as we're going to continue to compare it to harry potter why harry potter does it too because you can't possibly put all of these things and just do a like for like adaptation if you're talking about movies you know maybe you could get away with that if you were doing like a tv show or something but um i I don't think that they wanted to do that anyway but um going along with what you talked about buyers um i think the actors are great but there's just so many redeeming characters to cheer for. There's so much TV that, that um, we we watch these days. Where we're, why do we why do we watch this show? There's like one redeeming <laughs> character, you know. And then they do something stupid and they go away too. Like it never it never lasts. Right. Yeah. We were talking about that on the OC. Uh, right. Us, Even yeah. Sandy and Seth get stupid yeah. eventually Gosh. and hate them too. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's where it helps um, the the evil characters, um, if you want to call them that. I mean, there's just a few. I mean, it's it's this general versus light, and you spend a lot more time with the light characters, um, and, and rightfully so. But the evil characters aren't written as well. Uh, but they aren't put on the sidelines until the final battle either. Like we talk a lot about Marvel movies and comic book characters and stuff like that the evil character is only there just to be 
some thing for them to pursue and ultimately defeat at the end. Like, I'm not saying that the evil characters, while not drawn as well, are bad. It's just you spend a lot more time with the um, the good guys, which... But I think one of the things with that is the theme of evil mm. is that everybody has that potential for evil. So I think the dread and the the idea that there's it's not cut and dried like this person is 100% bad, this person's 100% good and they're antagonistic to each other. Like there's always that like, you know, seduction of the dark side kind of thing that, that's kind of the undercurrent of the whole thing. The fact that evil can pollute or you know, bring anybody um down into an evil place and so i think that was something i thought was kind of cool but especially in this one more more than the other two in fact like there there are several several telling moments where people have to kind of pass that test you know like gandalf and aragorn and you know boromir obviously doesn't pass it so well Mm -hmm. um you have a lot of that especially in this one you know where there's that temptation that that this power wants to corrupt you you know and that's that's a big thing throughout that like we are corruptible all every single one of us like mm-hmm. especially it talks about the hearts of men are like just not strong and that's what the enemy's banking on all the time in these movies is that oh you're gonna screw this up yourself i don't even i just stay out of your way and you're gonna you're gonna trip all over yourself so <laughs> it almost works a few times we'll get into it a little bit later uh, even though it uses a lot of cgi there's still enough like the money and the time and the effort spent into in um, like Lori already mentioned, the um, the on the set locations in New Zealand, but then building these actual sets and doing all of the costumes and everything. It's just, man, it's just so good. I mean, a lot of uh, shows probably do it now and probably do it better and cheaper um, and kind of make a little bit. Uh, they, they probably don't spend as much money as they did on these movies, but at the time, and even now, like you, it just still looks amazing. Yeah, they had a, such a good combination of practical effects, and then the CGI and the you know the animation effects. And that was when this was really the first movie where it was seamless enough, the technology advanced enough that it wasn't jarring to see the difference between the practical effects, the puppets, the mm-hmm. the model scales, like. To, to see that and then have the CGI on top of it or whatever. I mean, I think it worked in this movie, which was really one of the first movies that it worked well on. Um, but I mean, 20 years later, it holds up, you know? Yeah. 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 Almost throughout. Like there's very few moments where you're like, oh yeah, yeah, this there is an older is. movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, every once in a while, it, it always seems to be when they're trying to make the hobbits look short, standing in the middle of a crowd, like is one of those weird things that like, they just couldn't nail this down. Yeah. They like everybody looks a little weird. Um, <laughs> and it yeah, seems, so much of it is really good. And it seems worse on the Blu-ray transfers. Like if you've, or like if you watched it like on a, on a like a streaming yeah. service that is like the 4K quality or whatever, it's just like, just like whenever you watch um, the Star Wars, uh, the original trilogy four, five, and the six, remastered. the remastered ones, you can really see like these boxes around TIE fighters and stuff like that, where they really show like after those trend, those upscales, it's like, yep, that looks bad, but all the rest of the stuff looks good. We're just going to keep it in here. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And well, that, but not too bad a little bit later. I know I've got a, a couple of different things on there. So let's get into a uh, favorite scene, unless there's something that uh, that you guys wanted to talk about that you loved uh, in this movie before we move on. 
Um, I think the only other weird little thing that like as a big book nerd, I totally loved was that they used chapter titles from the books that weren't necessarily like needed. That was just chapter title, but they used it either in the dialogue or like even at the beginning, you know, Bilbo's writing the book concerning hobbits. That was the first chapter of the book was titled concerning hobbits and Bilbo's kind of narrating to himself as he's writing like just stuff like that. It was just mm -hmm. like the little nods to the book nerds that were out there. And it was like, yes, <laughs> or even like, you know, in Moria, Gandalf is like riddles in the dark as he's puffing on his like that was the name of the chapter from Hobbit where Bilbo got the ring. And so it's like you can tell that Gandalf's thinking about back to Hobbit. And that was just a total nod to the book nerds. And I just loved that they threw some of those Easter eggs in there for for us uber nerds. So loved it. So uh, moving on to a favorite scene. Um, I, I think with the three of us, it might just be better for me to list off. I've got about 10 here. How many do you guys have? Um, I have like four. Wow, the book nerd's the low one. Um, Lori's got, Lori's, I've got high standards. Lori's okay. like, I know what I like. <laughs> yeah, I have like 10. Some of them kind of blend into each other, though. So, All right. I'll, I'll, yours. I'll, I'll, I'll go through mine, and then if I, if I miss any, you guys hop in and let me know. So, um, and, and these are in order um, of the, the running of the movie. So the opening battle with Sauron, Elrond, Gilgalad, Elendil, and Isildur, or kind of the War of the Ring is um, what they call it as well. Um, that one is just super awesome. Like it's, in, it's in awesome talking and... about the CGI that oh, like, yeah. and how much you could just create these huge battles. Well, and that's, that's one of my favorites, but I just call it the whole prologue the, because right. the, mm -hmm. the prologue to the book was not that, but that is the way like the prologue to the movie so the prologue to the book was like the concerning hobbits and right. you kind of are getting to know who your main characters are going to be and their history. But this was bringing in a whole bunch of people who'd never read the books and were interested in the history of hobbits. And it just sucks you in from the beginning. Even when I just like think about it, like the opening with Galadriel speaking mm, in Elvish, mm -hmm. and then it has like the English like overlaid over the Elvish, like it, you know what you're in for, like right out of the gate. And yeah. and it's Galadriel, <laughs> and it's like you've got the music going, and you've got the, and it even gives me goosebumps just thinking mm -hmm. about it, like where she's like, you know, the world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. And it's just like, yeah, look there, there they went, goosebumps. <laughs> it's like, I sucked right in, like right there. And then it goes through kind of the history of the ring and mm -hmm. that telling and the epic battle with Sauron. So you, are, you meet your big bad, you meet kind of some of the players or at least some of the ancestors of some of the players in the game. And, and you just, you, you're sucked in immediately into this gorgeous set, the beautiful locations and this whole world that is created. And that's not in the book at all. And so just having that in the movie, even though, you know, it wasn't in the book and I'm a purist, that's still one of my favorite scenes, that whole prologue. Well, it, it needs it, to be there to set that stage for all of us mm -hmm. that didn't read the book. And they do such a good job because it does. It lays out this whole world. You're you're caught up enough in like five minutes that you understand mm -hmm. where everything is. Like, okay, I know where we are. I, I get where we are. I get what's happening. And so it just sets that stage so well. And, and, and many movies after it just fall prey to the we need to we need to tell the the old adage of show don't tell really comes out in this because mm -hmm. they're doing both in such a great uh way that 
many people have done show and they don't tell enough. And then people are just minutes of exposition at the very beginning of their movie be like, Hey, we're going to build this world. And like you said, buyers, it's like five minutes and you're just like, Oh, I get this. Yeah. I, I, I get enough of what's going on. And I really like the bookends, at least theatrically, almost like if return of the king was a little bit shorter it depends on if you're watching the extended edition or not but you really see like everything that's come before is foreshadowing all of the things that you're going to see like in this trilogy that you're about to watch mm -hmm. you know so um bilbo's birthday party after that um we've got a lot of introductions in the middle of that but i think bilbo's birthday party at least for just sheer amount of great one-liners and just funny stuff happening um, is a, a great one. Uh, I, I wrote it as the geriatric fight atop Orthanc with um, Saruman and uh, Gandalf. Like, I don't know why that one gets me so bad every single time, but, but it does. It's like, worse. they're sitting there like they're old dudes that are wizards. And they're just like, especially like the spinning one where, where Gandalf break is dancing. like break dancing. Yeah. Like uh, the, if we're going to go favorite, like comedy scene, like that one yeah, wins Unintentional hands, comedy yeah, scale. That one wins yeah. hands down, but I needed to throw that one in there. I know that that's not a winner, but it needed to be, it needed to be said. Oh, um, the, the weather top, uh, ring wraith fight i think that one's just it puts everything together like it has all of the world building all of the cool cinematography all the special effects there's not any cgi there so i mean that's probably what it's missing but like i think that's that was the point that i got sucked in forever um at least when we were watching it originally like everything was like oh this is cool this is cool this is cool and then that particular fight, I just remember going like, I'm all in. Just the rest of the movie, we're good. Like, we're good. You, you won me um, over. I think even before that, I really love when uh, the Dark Riders come into Bree and like they're, they're like mm. gliding through and like you see guys hiding and it's got this awesome music going behind it. Um, and it makes you think they're getting stabbed and know they're across the way with, with Strider hiding out. Yes. Uh, and you can hear the, the, the wraith screaming and stuff because they didn't find it and like it builds all that tension there the noise that they use for the wreath screaming is like it's like the scene from dumb and dumber like the most annoying no <laughs> noise imaginable i can't handle like whatever pitch that is or whatever like it makes me want to punch people it makes me want to rage like right now i'm Especially so sad i didn't know this till right now just for the record <laughs> I, I particularly it, remember it in the in movie the theater, theaters. Like oh, I was my climbing goodness. my chair. Like I was like, they've got to stop with the screaming. I can't, I can't do it. And it really happens a lot in fellowship. More yeah. that they space them out a little bit more in right. the rest of the movies. Like you hear it once or twice, like the whole movie yeah. until like the end end. But oh yeah. my gosh, those yeah. guys like running around the Shire and then in Bree, like I just, and then Weathertop, I, so that's why none of those scenes are even anywhere near my list is because I wanted to like murder people when the wraiths were screaming. I just couldn't do oh, it. I mean, they I do such a good job. The, the wraiths are such a like just dark foreboding character. Like from the moment they're standing on the road and he's like, mm -hmm. you know, the wind whips up, you know, and around Frodo's feet and he tells him to get off the road all the way through Weathertop. Like these are some menacing, scary guys. And these aren't even the real villain. I mean, like these are like, there's still a greater power behind these that you're just waiting for for a couple movies. And so, yeah, all the way through Weathertop, all that stuff with the Wraith is really good. 
another one that I had um, afterwards was uh, Arwen on Asphaloth, the the chase scene, the chase scene from like the when they find them all the way to crossing the river. I just thought that that was a really a really cool scene, uh, especially the end it as well. I know that it's not necessarily like the best scene, but I feel like it should be on my uh, in consideration. It is okay. Very cool. Lori's looking at me with judging eyes. It's just that's not. They did it wrong. They messed up the book. <laughs> like Arwen is not there. That's not a is thing that happens. Is it Glorfindel? Hey, I remember the name. Glorfindel, one of the elven princes that doesn't make an appearance in the movies. And welcome but, to why it takes so long to read the books because there's people named Glorfindel. <laughs> But the whole, like, I get why, I mean, if you're going to pay Liv Tyler to be Arwen, you got to give her some action. You got to, like, make her, you know, and there's so few female roles throughout the whole thing that they really did have to beef up the female roles to be more involved. That's why, you know, all the quote from the beginning of the prologue where Galadriel speaking in Elvish, that's, that was Tom Bombadil who didn't also didn't make it into the movie that wasn't Galadriel that was saying those things that was that was good old Tom but he wasn't he didn't make the movie so you know they had to give that part to a chick and it's just there's there's a lot of that like let's give this part to a chick part that like as a purist like annoyed me so that's not one of my favorite scenes I'm such a negative Nancy. Yeah, man. you are. I, I had it at like five minutes that Tom Bombadil, good old Tom. Uh, I love, was, he's one of my favorite characters. Was, was going to make an appearance. In the so, movie. so the fact that she waited this long to, bust, is out, always better. to bust out good old Tom is is saying something, everybody. Okay. Um, <laughs> the gathering. Of, yeah. I like I like the chase scene because I don't have all these negative Nelly things to say about it because I didn't <laughs> well, know those things. So. And the funny thing is, is I always get to Tom Bombadil and that's when you and that's it, when right? i lose it i just like it's just <clears throat> fall asleep time this guy's not in the movie why am i reading about him yeah <laughs> the hobbits fall asleep and i fall yeah. asleep yeah like <laughs> <laughs> so gathering the fellowship in rivendell um is another one of my favorites um as we continue to go in order here um it, it's it's you continue to this world building we haven't seen the dwarves yet we haven't seen um elves yet um, we've obviously seen men. We don't know. There's this great beyond this this huge city later on, uh, later on that we're going to get to until this moment, right? And so, or it's at least kind of just thinly veiled references to it. And now we see the people um, that are that are taking care of the realms of men and that are that are seemingly in charge. Whenever we meet Boromir um, at at, the, at Rivendell, and and of course how how great some of these places are with like the elves with meeting Elrond. We we've seen some of the references to the elves um, uh, up until this point, obviously Laurie talked about um, Galadriel at the beginning, um, but, and they're, they see the wood elves um, departing the, in, the shire. in the shire, like as they're, that's as, one of the extended, yeah. extended scenes that, that happens in the book. And I think, it helps introduce who the elves are and how separate the elves are from the dealings in the world um, through that scene. Um, that's not exactly how it happens in the book because they do talk to them in the book, whereas they just kind of see them in passing um, in the movie in that extended scene. But I do think that helps establish the fact that the races in, of Middle Earth don't necessarily work together. They all inhabit the same space, but they kind of all have their own little kingdom and they don't really bother with one another too much um 
especially after what we were just talking about with the prologue like you see like this huge war where everybody comes yeah, together to fight together. this great evil and now it's like now that that great evil is gone like oh they kind of go back to doing everything else the way that yeah. they want to living separate lives yeah. in the same place yeah that moment with you know going to rivendale and kind of getting the band together in a short yeah. version it's not it's not our traditional getting the band together but you're bringing the fellowship together and it's a really cool scene but maybe the best part is that rivendale looks awesome and like this yeah. is our first introduction to this you know i mean in the books it's not because you get some rivendale in the hobbit right I'm remembering yeah that correctly you know but we hadn't had hobbit movies i mean not not the peter right. jackson hobbit movies this is the first uh, time we visually saw rivendell yeah. and, it, and the it fact that it looks awesome and they are the the pictures and the scenes and the buildings they are alan lee's illustrations and the fact that they brought 2d hand-drawn pictures of what rivendell's going to look like to that to life like that it's just it's amazing it's amazing it's beautiful and, and if you ever want to nerd out, there is more than enough Alan Lee uh, commentary and stuff like that on um, the um, behind the scenes like stuff of, yeah. in, in a lot of the Blu-rays. I don't know if they have that type of stuff, like if you're streaming it on HBO Max or anything like that. But if you uh, the Blu-rays that we you got probably on, find it on YouTube, YouTube or, or whatever. Yeah, um, there's just tons of. I mean, every single movie has a bunch of uh, Alan Lee commentary on what he was trying to do to uh, do that, which is really interesting. Um, we decided not to put any of that in here because then it would just make this even more bloated than it probably uh, needs <laughs> to be. So um, the uh, the battle at Balin's tomb, Balin's tomb, Balin, Balin's tomb. I didn't have my umlaut over the or the seemingly JRR token with the with the three umlaut. I don't even know what that is, but anyway, um, the dwarvish. first the the the, the dwarvish uh, dwarvish umlaut, uh, the dwumlaut. Uh, <laughs> so the battle at Balance Tomb, Balance Tomb. I'm gonna just murder that a million. I just called the battle in Moria, so I don't have yeah to Moria. Say there you go. But but the first time through, so like we have. Uh, uh, battle with the orcs the battle with the orcs yeah yeah i i it, it kind of does go on a little bit um but i and i split those into two got a cave troll. yeah they got a cave troll <laughs> um i i have fleeing the balrog after that because i think that those are kind of yeah. two separate it things they fight split. they take a breath and then they go out there and then they they have one of my favorite scenes when they're literally in the mines of moria like in the city I can't remember what the city's name is. Kazadum. Kazadum. And so I had it in my notes somewhere else. But anyway, <laughs> when they come in in Kazadum and they just see all of these orcs around them, they've got like the torches and stuff like that. I remember seeing that in the trailer and going, What is this movie? What <laughs> is this movie? And like we have cut, we, like we've peaked like in terms of like CGI because it was just crazy to see orcs crawling down the walls and right like, everywhere. And that was just the start. Like there's yeah. so many of those cool, like surrounding army, mm -hmm. just massive scenes like that in these movies. It's yeah. great. Well, and you've skipped one of my favorite scenes. It's okay. the discussion between Frodo and Gandalf in the Mines of Moria mm -hmm. when they, mm -hmm. when they're talking about, and I, I think that's one of, you know, it's one of my quotes later. It's probably somebody else's quote later, but that whole scene of where Gandalf and Frodo are kind of contemplating you know, life and, and, you know, their role in this epic, like they understand that they're in an epic story and their role in it. And, you know, Frodo it feels like he's too small and, and Gandalf is kind of giving him, you know, a pep talk. It's just, it's kind of that, I just love that dialogue that they have. And that's not, 
you know, it's not really building the world much, or it's not building a whole lot for the whole fellowship because it's just the two of them talking. But I think that 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 discussion, even though you know it that took place back in the Shire at the before everything happened in the book. But the way they place that in the middle of Moria when everything is scary and dark and pitch black, I think that was kind of a cool way of doing that. And it gives that opportunity of kind of introducing us to Gollum as a new character and kind of that discussion or the foreshadowing of of him, that character becoming a part of the story as well, even though he's not part of the fellowship, he's still involved with the story, even though we don't get to see him in this movie. Um, no, because you, and, and, and you, you bring up a good point, like the other hobbits are along like Mary and Pippin are along because it's just like yeah let's go on an adventure it sounds cool like right they're they're, they're just there for the ride they're and, just there to party and Sam is is along because he has this sense of duty along with I mean I would say with Gimli and um Legolas, Legolas. and Aragorn are there for duty as well right. and so they're you representing have these, their race yeah. among the fellowship so you have all of these people that are there just just because but the like Gandalf, of course, knows he's kind of right. ne not necessarily the puppet master the in puppet a bad master. way, but he's the puppet master in a <laughs> good is. way. Um, and Frodo, but Frodo knows because he's been around Bilbo so long that like, hey, this is super serious. If Gandalf is asking me to do it, yeah. and this and this just reminds me of like Bilbo's adventure, and so I need to take it with the utmost seriousness. Where the other guys are like, "Oh man, what did we get ourselves into?" Especially the little hobbits. Yeah. And then the, the they're just looking for second breakfast, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then um, uh, the trio, as I would like to call them, like Aragorn, Gimli, and Gimli. Legolas, are there because they like to party as well. Well, they're like, they like to shoot stuff. They, they like to yeah. They like to kill people and, and yeah, count. They like to decapitate orcs <laughs> and make it a competition. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, after fleeing the Balrog, I've got the battle at Amon Hen, um, which of course is the um, um, right after um, Boromir um, uh, tries to take the ring from Frodo unsuccessfully and makes up for it by uh, trying to help the uh, Merry and Pippin escape. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, I kind of counted like that battle. Um, just I call that whole scene the break ship. So mm, it's like okay. I liked the scene where they all got together, but then I like this scene where they kind of all are starting to splinter off and and you know, yeah, it's a battle, but there's so much happening. Like there's so many moving pieces. People are going every which way, like unlikely pairings of like groups of people who get, you know, stuck in different places and fighting for their lives and and just seeing the redemption and the you know, the first time we're seeing action from some of these folks and mm -hmm. and Mary and Pippin actually getting involved rather than just being kind of baggage like they were during the battle in in Moria or the battles in Moria, you know, they're mm -hmm. they're actually getting involved and they're they're actually starting to fight and realize that they can't just that they have a role to play rather than just being along for the party. So I, I have that all kind of as one scene, just the breaking of the fellowship, that whole like from the Battle of Ammon Hin to the end. I, I yeah. split it up. I had Frodo crossing the river and then kind of a little, maybe I, I meant to have like some of the remaining like pieces of that discussion or of that situation of what you just discussed where um, uh, Aragorn, Gimli and Legolas break off and um, uh, Merry and Pippin of course are carried off uh, before that. So 
um, yeah, I just split those up between those two. Yeah. Byers, what did you have? Um, well, I mean, that scene for sure. And the best part for me is, is Boromir. Like, you have his fall, you have his total, just ruins it for a second and breaks the fellowship. But then you have his redemption. Like, he redeems himself. And I love that part right before he dies. with just him and Aragorn. And, mm-hmm. he, you know, he says, I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king. Like, he finally gets it. And you see that moment. And you're starting to get the sense of, like, okay, this this Strider Ranger dude, like, there's way more to him than we knew about. Uh, and the extended edition gives you more of that than the regular one did. Um, but that yeah. that's really cool. Uh, the only other thing I had besides that scene, that was my last one, uh, the, uh, the gifts and farewell with Galadriel, which you really have to watch extended edition to get that. Like, the regular one should give something to Frodo and, like, nobody else. Um, but that part was really cool. And, and it's just it's a cool moment where like she understands and she sees some things like here's some of the things you guys are going to need like as you go forward and can foresee some of those and preparing them for what's ahead it's it's cool yeah we'll, we'll talk a little bit more extended edition um at the i have a spot for it at the very very end i don't know if i told oh. everybody that nope. um i didn't okay um but <laughs> let's talk about that now i i think that's one of the biggest whiffs of like Lori talked about the wood elves earlier like I can understand why that didn't meet the. Uh, it wasn't necessary. That, it wasn't necessary, but man, that one's just so good. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree almost with you. almost all the extended stuff in this first one, like mm-hmm. added very much added to the story, to giving us some background. There, I liked all the additions in this one, um, yeah. a whole lot. Um, not as much in the next one, but this one yeah. in Return of the King. <laughs> um, and there's not there's not bad ones in Two Towers. They're just not as not as important they don't feel like they add as much for the most part uh, that makes sense um, yeah like some of the stuff with galadriel um i forget there was a couple others that like it just gives you a little more background a little more depth to some stuff explain some things a little bit more so that one especially though yeah the the movie or the theatrical version makes it feel like it takes forever to get out of the shire but the extended editions really make it feel like it takes a while to get out of the shire as well it's, it's still all way shorter than it feels in the book right very true well that's i guess i've watched the extended cut so much and read the book so many times that i couldn't even tell you what are the like extended edition scenes because to me they're all essential because they're in the book but yeah. the only one that's not in the book is uh you know that love story the backstory on the love story between arwen and aragorn which right. is one of the extended cut ones and that's not in the book that's actually one of the appendices um, but that, I think that helps again, it gives Liv Tyler something to do and it does help, uh, understand that love story. Cause that does play a pretty central role in the later films. And so it does, you know, set the stage for that in a way that if you haven't read the books and you don't understand that world, something would be missing if that scene isn't there. Um, but again, it's only an extended cut. It doesn't have to be there. No, but learning that like Aragorn like grew up in Rivendell and so like there's there was some really good stuff there that otherwise you're like there's just this random guy and he happens to know all these elves and you know there's there's a lot of there's just a lot of things kind of taken for granted that they explain a little more in those extended scenes so mm-hmm. so uh Lori what do you have for your favorite uh my favorite was you know the, the prologue which we discussed that whole scene now you got to pick one you... oh I have to pick one yeah one. Okay, then I'm so gonna say what. Those are your nominees. Those are my nominees. Oh yeah. gosh, <laughs> I would say the one that can 
that always gives me goosebumps is the prologue. So I'm going to pick it, even though it's not in the book the same way. So that makes me feel bad. I'm just but, glad we yeah. have record that her favorite scene in the movie does not exist in the book. I just, I just, that's, that's <laughs> not, not in the way that it is in the movie. No, Fires, what, what's your favorite? Um, I gotta go the battle in Moria and especially, mm. I mean, I, I didn't split it up in my mind, but okay. if I had to split it up, I'd pick the first part, like okay. from the moment the, that, uh, he knocks the, the skeleton Full down the took. well. Yeah. The full <laughs> of a took moment. Um, that'll come up again in, in the Drax award. Um, <laughs> but like the moment those drums start beating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like through that whole battle is, it's just really cool. It's really well done. So yeah. the first time we think Frodo dies too, of like many, many times throughout these movies <laughs> that we think Frodo's dead and he's not, but yeah, Battle of Moria for me. Oh man. Those, those are my like two and you guys didn't help me like make, uh, <laughs> make my decision. So, um, uh, I'm going to go with prologue, um, and not just because, uh, my wife decided that, uh, that's her favorite, but uh-huh, I, sure, think, sure, sure. I think the podcast, I think, yeah. No, but for very much the same thing, it just draws you in so completely, so quickly, and it's just a a how to on how to start a movie. You know, some people have Especially tried a it. Movie that people love the subject matter already. Mm-hmm. Well, and one that you're, you know, this is the first of of three. Like, you're not mm-hmm. just starting this movie; you're starting this whole series. Like, yeah. you're opening up this whole starting world. a franchise. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of movies, you can kind of like skip that part because it's just like scene setting world building type stuff you're like oh okay i'll go get my popcorn i'll sit down i'll kind of figure out what i'm doing but no it's like no from the moment that it starts you're like okay pause it i'm gonna be in there in just a second and we'll 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 watch that whole part together so yeah okay all right moving on to uh drax award um let's just kind of go round robin we'll uh we'll let Lori start us out um as as the guest and we'll just we'll just go until we run out. That's what I'm going to say. Okay. Uh, I've got some I've got some one-liners early, and then I've got some exchanges like later. Is is kind of how I'll throw mine together. So if that helps everybody else, um, well, I'll start it. It's one of the earlier ones with uh, Frodo and Gandalf meeting you know each other, and when he Frodo like Riley smiles at him and says, "All right, then keep your secrets." That one is one that we use a lot around the house. <laughs> And you've got to have like smirky little grin with it that, (laughs) that, you know, is a little saucy. That one's one of my favorites. Byers, what do you got? Nice. Um, I have one. uh, I I cheated. I have several from extended stuff. So if you've never watched extended, here it is. I had never watched the extended. I did it for this podcast for these two crazy people because they're like, you got to watch the extended. So I'm like, fine. They're really good. It's worth doing if you like these movies at all. So anyway, first one, uh, Rosie knows an idiot when she sees one. Like Frodo and Sam are chilling, <laughs> and Sam's Does looking she? all longingly and stuff, and uh, and you know people are are hitting on the the bartender and stuff, and Frodo's just trying to encourage his boy. He's like, "Hey, yeah. Rosie knows an idiot when she sees one." And it's just he's a good wingman, that Frodo. Yeah, yeah it's a good line. Uh, mine's from Gandalf. A wizard is never late, nor is he early. He always arrives precisely when he means to. And he's yeah. such a liar with that line. Like, does Gandalf <laughs> ever show up on nope. time ever nope. in nope. any movie, in any story? He's constantly <laughs> okay. like... Okay, uh, in Two Towers, he does. He tells him exactly when he's going to show up. This is the true. It's the, the sun. Yeah. It's the only, it's the time. only time, though. It's the only time. <laughs> but you but found they really could have used him, like, you know, an hour or two earlier. Yeah. Or, like, a day. 
Um, <laughs> the farmers of the Rohirrim uh, could have uh, yeah. really used uh, the rest. Yeah. The keep it secret, keep it safe, like crazy-eyed Gandalf. That's that's another one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. It's a good one. Um, I have Sam talking to Gandalf, saying, "Don't turn me into anything unnatural." <laughs> he catches him <laughs> when he catches him outside the, the window, yeah. listening in. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear much. Uh, just something about a a, a ring and, and, and the end of the world. The Dark Lord and the end of the world. world. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing big. They've been uh, dropping no eaves, sir. <laughs> Uh, Bilbo, I feel thin, sort of like butter scraped over too much bread. Uh, that is definitely something that we use around the house whenever we're we're tired and we uh, really want to milk it for the all the melodrama that we need. That's to. gonna be the name of our parenting book when we write one of those. Right. Someday. I feel like butter <laughs> spread over too much bread. <laughs> right, it comes in pints. That's another one of my favorites. Uh, the, I'm getting one. I'm getting the, one. <laughs> the wee little hobbits. Uh, that are used to their like quarts of beer and seeing somebody walk by with a big old pint and they're, I guess one of them walks up to the table with a big old pint and they're like, what? This happens in The Hobbit too, but uh, it's a dangerous business going out your door. Yeah, that's another um, one of my favorites too. Which, which is one we, we need in real life at the, this particular moment. <laughs> like, it's, it's dangerous going out your door all the time, people. Right? This isn't new. Uh, <laughs> Tolkien wrote about it decades yep. and decades ago. It's always been that way. It always will. Keep, if you don't keep your feet, who knows where the road will take you. Yeah. Um, this one, I have to have the, uh, I put it in parentheses, drunkenly slurred speech. Today is my 111th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say it, like, just, you can't just read it. You have to uh, get into uh, It's Ian a sweater. Hall. Oh. Yeah, yeah oh. exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gotta have That's the right the way time. you say that. Yeah. He's 111. What's funny is because of this book, I say things like wrong. Like when we lived in Arizona, there's a street that was called 22nd Street and I call it 72nd Street because that's how the hobbits talk. And I had read Lord of the Rings too much. When you've but, read yeah. Lord of the Rings so much and it starts infecting right. your everyday 72nd, speech. 11st, yeah. That's awesome. Um, I'm so glad I get this one that nobody said it yet. Uh, what about second breakfast? Like we already mentioned it. We already threw it in there, but the fat kid in the group should get the second breakfast quote. Yeah. Um, if they didn't drink so much, I'd swear hobbits were Baptists, but the, the pints <laughs> line just cancels that out. So. Yeah, but the breakfast, second breakfast, 11Z's luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. You think he's heard of those? <laughs> yeah, that's my children. Yeah, that's my children. I'm so glad they're back to school because when we were virtual schooling, they really ate like hobbits. Oh like gosh, every 30 yes. minutes, they needed a snack. Yeah, literally, oh, I literally have five minutes between a class. Let me eat this whole entire meal. Yeah. Yep. Literally in the middle of this podcast, they're they like digging, digging through, the through the pantry, pantry, hoping to getting the loudest snacks out. Yeah. Crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. I didn't hear them, but I could see them. Yes, you see them. Um. <laughs> The uh, Bilbo in back in the uh, the birthday. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. And then the random stares by all of the hobbits. Like, did, <laughs> wait, did he what? just say something nice about us, or did he uh, say something bad about us? Yeah. yeah, trying to trying to figure out if that was a compliment, compliment or, or an insult. insult. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. During the geriatric. Uh, 
<laughs> wizard fight um, in Orthanc is when uh, Sauron yells, but you have elected the way of Bane. That one's one of my favorites, especially when my kids are mouthing off to me. Mm-hmm. They have elected the way of Bane. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. Um, we are kind of mentioned this, but one does not simply walk into Mordor. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way he says it, too, is always, mm-hmm. it's like this freaked There's out, wide eyed, like, what? Yeah. Are you crazy? Um, There's a why it's a meme. Right? Well, it's not just yeah. a meme. It is like the meme, the meme of memes. <laughs> One does not simply, like, you can put anything at the end anything. of that sentence yeah. and meme it. I have, uh, it, it. I'm going to get a two for here, even though they're not, like, just to kind of speed things up. Um, but Gandalf in the um, fight with the Balrog, where he says, you shall not pass. And then as he's about to fall off where he says fly you fools yeah those are both up there too i've also got uh, nobody tosses a dwarf from the uh flight <laughs> of the balrog that was another another favorite that i had y'all skip it throw yourself in next time and rid us of your stupidity um <laughs> <laughs> that fool of a took. <laughs> you fool of a took um I've, i yeah I've, I've wanted to use basically those same words a few times but uh, I also like uh, Galadriel's when she gets all like emo elf and yells, "All oh, shall love me in despair." <laughs> yeah, I pretty much like black out whenever they do that because the it, it, the intensity of that scene is just like, <laughs> just get it over with. <laughs> right? Yeah, She's anybody... beautiful and terrible. It is an accurate description. Right? Yeah. It's crazy. I think Kate Blanchett is probably the only actress in history who could pull off that scene. Mm-hmm. Emo, emo elf. <laughs> emo elf. There was a great scene, once again, the extended edition. After they've gotten the uh, the elf bread that I'm forgetting the name of now. Limbus. Limbus. Limbus bread. And Legolas breaks off a little piece and talks about how this is all you need for like a whole day. You can fill a man's belly for like a whole day or whatever. And Mary and Pippin look at each other and goes, how many, how do, many do you eat? Four. <laughs> as they're burping as they're burping yeah you you mentioned it earlier um uh, i would have followed you my brother my captain my king boromir to aragorn lori always talks lori talked about like the the hair standing up on her on her arm every time i watch that scene it gets a little dusty in the uh in the the living room whenever because he's just sitting there and it's just he's got these three arrows in him four arrows like eight eight arrows whatever (laughs) Uh, too many arrows uh, in him and uh it's just it's a uh um a sad uh sad sad scene yeah i've got uh the also at the breaking of the fellowship where frodo's trying to float away on the boat and sam's running after him saying frodo's like i'm going to mordor alone and sam goes of course you are and i'm coming with you (laughs) (laughs) as he drowns himself because he can't swim yeah Yeah. Um, and to to skip uh, in front of buyers on that one i have uh the one right after that as he gets into the boat whenever he he saves him right he goes i made a promise mr frodo a promise don't you leave him samwise gamgee and i don't mean to i don't mean to like and is is that the last no that's not the last line of dialogue they they go they talk about hunting orc being close to the last line of dialogue is really a good foreshadowing of what's to what's ahead Somehow I skipped this uh, in the midst of my notes, which is sad because it's my favorite one. Um, but uh, Gandalf talking to Frodo, I think this is in the conversation you might have mentioned, Lori, that you liked so much. Um, mm-hmm. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time given to us. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just such a poignant line, like just so, wow. Like that's, that's so true. Yeah. Um, that whole exchange. I just love it. You know, Frodo's like, just never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. Cause we've all been there where we've been in a bad situation. We just, you know, think we shouldn't be there, but Gandalf, you know, the eternal coach, it's like, you know, so everybody, everybody feels that way. So do all who live to see such times, but that's not for them to decide. What we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us. So the, so since we have another, I have another Frodo Gandalf exchange is my last one. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I have, I have one more, um, but we'll see if and you guys have it as well. But uh, Frodo um, in that same uh, scene that Laurie talked about in the middle of where he wasn't sure which way to go uh, when they're in um, Casa Doom, he said, it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill him talking about uh, Gollum when he had the chance. And Gandalf says, pity. It was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. Ooh, that's a good one, right? Uh, Even the very wise cannot see all ends. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play yet for good or ill before this is over. The pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. And I mean, we know that... Gandalf is a wizard. He has some kind of like foresight that they kind of mention uh, a little bit. They don't really get heavy into it into the into the movie. But even though he has that foresight, like it's just so it just sets that so well that while you're going through all of this, like why is this guy still here throughout the towers and throughout Return of the King? Um, that like you know in the end like he does have a part to play um, mm-hmm. and it's it kind of reminds you of like I know we're not in spiritual uh, metaphors or anything like that but it just reminds you of Judas like Jesus talks about like that he's going to be betray him so like all the disciples are like well why is he still here with us like he has a part to play in all of you know so yeah all right the last one I have is I would have gone with you to the end into the very fires of Mordor um, Aragorn says to Frodo and Frodo says I in his best uh, Han Solo voice, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just love That's it. That's how the King of Gondor and the Ring Bearer say I love you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> two dudes. The bromance. Just, just two dudes, two platonic uh, dudes, yeah. <laughs> just filleting it up. Yeah. <laughs> filleting it up? Nope. We don't, that's I'm not I'm gonna it. stop now. That's not it. <laughs> All right. I think I killed Byers. <laughs> Byers has been murdered. Ooh, it's getting dusty over here. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's go into uh, recognize my face. All right. I've got two because I don't know if I did this wrong. So I've got Martin Soskoskas. I, I was just waiting it. for you to butcher it. Yeah. Because uh, I, then I, I don't have to butcher it so bad. I, I, I have Sokas. I would say Sokas. Sokas. Yeah. Yeah. What do you have, Byers? I have Sean Bean. Well, I also had Sean Bean. He's my second. I think Sean Bean is a recognize my face all star. Like, he is in so Been much. In so stuff, many things. And he's never like the guy. I mean, like, Formir's up there. Don't get me wrong. This is awesome. Yeah. But he dies. Like, you're the guy that came here to die in this movie, and we don't see you again. Like you're not Aragorn, you're not Frodo, you're not one of the the bigger parts of the fellowship. And like that's always his role. 
like he's always like a bad guy or just some sidekick or something and so i think he's he's high on my list and as far as recognize my face i think he's an all-star yeah, he was he was my second because he you know he'd been in black beauty he'd been and uh he was the bad guy in golden eye he was in the patriot yeah. patriot games he was like he's he's the that guy in so many things before lord of the rings and even since lord of the rings he didn't go on to like superstardom after either no, i mean he just kept yeah, being that he, guy right he he did have a pretty big role in game of thrones but then immediately is killed off there like he's just he is that guy <laughs> he he has the second fiddle part in lots of things but he's never the main dude yeah um i didn't have sean bean on there maybe i just uh thought he was too big thought he was too big maybe that's just my yeah he teeters i mean it's it's a close call he's either too big or he wins this category running away but right right because there's nobody else there's really nobody else either they're like super famous or they're nobody's like hidden this like and martin Martin sokas plays the other um oh my gosh galadriel's husband right she he's one of the he's lord not glorfindel it's galadriel celeborn 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 and unless you watch the extended edition he does like nothing right like he he just kind of stands next to her (laughs) he stands next to her but he's he's been in some other things too he's in triple x the amazing spider-man equalizer like he he, was he was a villain in one of the born movies like yeah he's been in some stuff but but he really wasn't a whole lot in this one either so it's like yeah yeah. you either have sean Um, being too big or that guy too small uh dominic monaghan i don't know if that's how you say his last name yeah he he ranks a little bit in there i don't know being on Lost is a pretty big deal. That was um, the but thing that, that was after, well, right? It was after that. Yeah, and, and we can and do so, it like, kind of. And like, like he's he's in an X Men movie. He shows up in Rise of Skywalker a little bit. Yeah. yeah, like he's got a few things, but I don't know. When you're on Lost, I'm not sure you kind of recognize my face anymore because most yeah. people that watch Lost were like, oh, oh, look, it's and they know his name. Like he's no right. longer a that guy. He's yeah. I don't remember who he was in Lost because I try to forget Lost. There you go, Charlie. Charlie the rock star. That's right. Not Penny's boat. I'm going to cry now. <laughs> okay. So who beefed? It's Gandalf, right? When the fireworks shoot out the back of his truck, he makes that face. That's Gandalf beefing, right? That's what this section is? That's what this section is. So. And welcome yeah. to what happens on the BLT edition when we have Byron, Lori, <laughs> and Troy. Um. We, we, we turn towards farts and poops. Um, so who beefed? That's, that's kind of our negative portion of the podcast. Uh, we like to sandwich it in. It's a beef sandwich. <laughs> um, you kind of sandwich it in with some good stuff so that we end on some, uh, on, some uh, on a good note. But uh, we, we talk about things like, does it hold up? What our least favorite scene is? Um, if you were to edit the movie, what you what would you remove? And then some uh, plot holes and quibbles. And then, of course, as Lori alluded to, we're going to give her a little bit of a, uh, a monologue of sorts <laughs> to say that the book is always better uh, for this particular movie. So, uh, so let's start with, does it hold up? Um, Lori, what do you think? Yes, 20 years. The special effects are still awesome. I mean, the shadow world when like the mm-hmm. ring race around mm-hmm. like Weathertop, like all of that, the CGI, the sets, the way they use forced perspective, even though there's a couple of spots where you can spot it, it's, I mean, it holds up. Yeah, that's that's what I had. What do you have, Byers? No, it totally still does. Like uh, you don't watch this. 
except for very few moments, you don't sit there watching this and think, oh man, this is 20 years old. Like this could have mm -hmm. come out yesterday. I'm like, it still, still holds up. They did such a good job incorporating lots of like real world, just simpler effects and not using all CGI stuff that things look good um, and things look genuine. And, and yeah, they do some of that, the shadow world and those things, they do such a good job that you don't sit there going, you know, we love Star Wars, but I can watch the original Star Wars and go, yep, this is an old movie. Um, right. But that doesn't happen hardly at all in these and they're 20 years old. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I kind of talked about all of the things that I had in here, um, similar to what you guys talked about. The, the one thing that really shows its age is the cave troll in, in Balin's tomb. Uh, that one is the one particularly in this movie. Um, I, I agree that some of the forced perspective stuff, especially during the conversion to Blu-ray, kind of shows its age, but not so bad. Uh, I think most of it's because we, we've watched like the behind the scenes a million times, so you can kind of see where some of those things will pop up uh, in there. But, and I talked about distinctly remembering the the trailer in the theater of like the cause of doom chase. So those are just some of the things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, what about your least favorite scene? I think my least favorite scene is the whole fall of Sourman where he like goes over to the dark side and like he's defiling Isengard, like just trashing things and burning burning stuff and overacting and the uruks are born and it's just gross like that just that whole scene like i understand it's need to be there Speaking but i just of don't a like beef it sandwich. yeah i don't like it <laughs> i don't like it oh i remember looking at that in the theater like did he just make those guys out of poop or is that just supposed <laughs> to be dirt like like i know i'm it's juvenile but like I, the whole I, thing is just gross i literally like whole, thought that yeah. like I, I just have questions when Saruman and Gandalf fight, like they're not the first time when they fight on the roof. Cause how the heck does Gandalf get on the roof of the tower? Like we go from <laughs> fighting in like the, like. That's when he elected inside. the way of pain and spins him up and he flies up into the air. I know, but he flies up towards the ceiling. And then like 10 minutes later, when we come back to them, he's just sitting on the roof chilling like by himself. Yeah, and, the, and there's no like a very like, like there's not like a hole out, there's like there's an outline not... of like a trap door or anything Nothing. yeah yeah they're wizards <laughs> well that's then why is he stuck on the roof and he can't get out man did building. imprison him on the roof of orthanc but yeah because there's you no way down it. like you see yeah. the like i'm spinning towards the ceiling and you're like okay and then it jumps and goes off yeah. to to frodo and everybody and then you it's come hot. back and he's just sitting on the roof and i'm just like what <laughs> So that's that's one of my uh, quibbles that I'm going to pop up here because it's it's very um, uh, apropos is that the magic is always alluded to, but they never try to explain it. You never really it's, see it. Yeah, it's it's like they were just a too afraid to go like full nerd. They, they, they were like, let's just only go half nerd. And then like, we've already spent three hours on this movie. Like, let's just. And I'm surprised that some of the extended editions don't necessarily like they do a little bit, but they don't spend any of the time like on magic or why. Well, like, in the magic things. of the wizards is there's very specific, like each one of them has their own kind of magic. And so for Sour for Sauron or Sour Moon, it's his voice. He's got the voice. And so he's very persuasive. But 
you know, Gandalf is immune to it. And that's why he can argue with him and whatever. But Gandalf's is more like natural world type stuff, not quite to Radagast level, which we don't see Radagast until you watch the Hobbits, the Hobbit series, and they totally whacked out everything in regard to <laughs> Radagast. But but, you know, Radagast can talk to animals. Gandalf does really well with the natural world because he spends so much time with the elves that he's very in tune with nature. And so he can use those kinds of things. That's why he can manipulate light. He can manipulate water to a degree, those kinds of things, but and wind, things like that. But he, the whole like fighting with magic, it's not like they're like shooting lasers out of their staffs at, staffs at each other or anything like that. So that, that whole fight was really just weird. It was just Gandalf or Sauron just, imprisoned Gandalf was all that happened in the books. Hmm. There wasn't like a fight or a you've elected the way of pain or breakdancing Gandalf, any of that. It was just he went there to confront or to to seek Sauron's guidance and then found out Sauron had gone to the dark side. And so Sauron imprisoned him because he's got a ton of orcs and it was just Gandalf. <laughs> like he was the only one there. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we got more on the how this is, by the way, super confusing that it's Sauron and Sauron. Could we not have distinguished these names a little bit more from each other? Um, I wish we got more on how Sauron corrupts Sauron. Like, he's presented as like, hey, this is, you know, a fellow wizard and one of my order. And like, he's just already turned. And yeah. I just wish we saw a little more how that happens. Well, and they, it does kind of show it. It's the Palantir. It's the Seeing Stone. But they didn't yeah. say that like Sauron has sub several of those they don't know how many because those seeing stones are like ancient and several have gone missing over history yeah and so sauron uses it to spy on his enemies but um sauron had one in orthanc but once sound was rising to power he was able to basically use that to get into sauron's mind and and manipulate him or into thinking that the only way Sauron is going to live is to do Sauron's bidding. And so he's like, oh, he's going to share power. So the two of us are going to be like in charge. And, uh -huh. and then as Gandalf said, you know, Sauron doesn't share. There's one ring. It only sits on one hand, like you're delusional old man. Um, so, it, but it doesn't really go into that at all. It does show the Palantir and it shows like the flaming eye and the Palantir yeah. and all of that, but it doesn't really explain that that's how Sauron was able to turn Sauron to the dark side. But my least favorite scene is the Kraken, or at least that's what I'm going to call it the Kraken. Kraken. Remember the, the squid thing that comes out whenever oh, the, watcher. Yeah. the watcher. Yeah. I was like, I forget what the, See, that one's so I forgot about it. Right. And so like, I feel like even like an extended edition. So like, if I'm going to say something, especially like, as we're going to probably talk about, like with edit the moving or editing the movie, what would you remove? Um, like, this is we're already like getting intense in like two seconds. We're just about to go into two of our favorite scenes that we just talked about, uh, Balin's tomb and then like Casa Doom. Like you don't need something else. And like yeah. I get it. Like there's probably something in the book, but that's where books yeah. and movies need to diverge. And you don't need to be like so like chapter verse with the movie or with the book uh, that I just felt like it was just too much. Yeah. And so, or at least like, if I'm going to pick something that needs to come out, like it needs to be like worthwhile uh, in, in, or, in order for that to be 
the my least favorite scene and if i was editing the movie i'd probably take that out too well it, do, it helps the pacing in the book because it's been so long since any action has happened that you kind of need something to force them yeah mm-hmm. because they were debating about whether that was the right way to go right and so it, it served that role and then it also served that all evil things are drawn to the ring and that's mm-hmm. why it attacks frodo instead of grabbing anybody else in the fellowship it goes for frodo because it's i a thought i just got mad because they were chucking rocks at him so right. i didn't i didn't get that last part they were hanging out in sense. his pool yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that I'm hungry Come here. it does it does give a little more of that context in the book but yeah but i do agree in the movie it it just seems like another thing and it kind of like slows it down and just yeah doesn't have to be there yeah so so if you were to edit the movie what would you what would you remove? Um, I want to split it in half and make two movies is what I want to do. Because correct me if I'm wrong, it's actually six books, right? Like when you're reading, it says book one, yeah. book, two. book two. Like yep. we had six books. Why not make six movies? Because um, there's enough there. Like you could you could have them go and be taking the ring and running from the ring rates and doing all that and get to the point where we like create the fellowship. Right. And they're like walking off. Like if you're watching it and you're sitting there, you're almost thinking like, oh, cool. This is almost over. And then you realize, oh no, they're just formed the fellowship. And now all this other stuff's about to happen. Like you could cut there and easily have fellowship of the ring. And then the breaking of the ring be like two different movies, basically. Yeah. Yeah. In the DVD version of uh, the extended editions, that's, that's exactly where, you, that's where, where the disc one goes into disc two. And so it makes perfect sense for us because we always liked that. And 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 we, I hope to not like sidetrack us too much with this, but with with the advent of like Netflix series uh, wanting to be like a ten hour movie or an eleven hour movie or something like that, it's like Lord of the Rings still kind of has that where it's. It's just long that people still consider it a movie, but you can take all of these extended editions and you we basically like turn it into like a mini series right. that you watch over watch several nights. Watch an hour, hour and a half a night, night right? And yeah. then pick it up. But you can't say like when you do a theatrical release, you can't just be like, "Hey, come over to the theater for an hour and yeah, then come hour back." And like, half. But in that and then case, pay for a ticket the next night. <laughs> yeah, but in that case, what you were talking about, like, I think that if they would have done like two or um split each of those into maybe two towers doesn't work that way and maybe that's where they it's got the kind toughest of got their one, formula but... yeah. yeah i mean the way the books work on that is it's just you're following sam and frodo for one book and then you're following the rest of the fellowship yeah, that would have been that would have been hard but this one and return of the king make a ton of sense i agree with you that you could have probably split them into and then that's the thing it's like oh do we just do five movies i think five movies instead of three or gives you, more time. gives you gives you a little bit more time to flesh some of those things out you know yeah. but i'm i'm the person that will sit here i'm the movie nerd that will sit here and watch however many hours however many minutes they they give to us of uh lord of the rings well so. and it's a lot easier to say that after the fact like mm-hmm. when you're making the first one you're like do we cut yeah. it off here like you need right. moria and those other battles to like really make sure that you you hit it out of the park that first time Right. So I get why they didn't split this one, especially, um, but they should have, they could have at least followed, you know, the Harry Potter hunger games, everyone else's model of, Oh, we, we do one movie until we get to the last one. And then we split it in half. Mm-hmm. Um, then we could yeah. have at least gotten return of the King split, but I think you could totally split this one too. So. 
Um, well, my scenes uh, that I think you could have edited out were kind of some of the ones I think were extended scenes. Mm -hmm. And so they did edit them out, <laughs> but then put them back in and, and they, and then I understand why they were extended scenes. So like the love story with Arwen and, and Aragorn, like that whole backstory, like it's important, but it wasn't the book. It does help set the stage, but it's not necessary. It's kind of boring. It slows down the pacing. Um, that one and then the mirror of Galadriel, which is after they've gone to Lothlorien and in the middle of the night, Frodo wakes up and mm, follows Galadriel mm -hmm. and she shows him her, her special mirror that has magic that she he can see certain things and the mirror will show him what he needs to see. It, like that whole thing, first of all, they did it completely different than the book. And so that part was just kind of, it's like, why is the scene even here? <laughs> if you're going to change everything that actually happens in the book, like, why did we just not cut the whole scene? Really, that whole scene only serves as a purpose to have emo elf where Galadriel is tested, where Frodo can offer her the ring and she can pass the test of not taking it and becoming an all powerful emo goddess. So you know, that's, but you really didn't have to have that, or you could have done that, served that purpose in any of the other scenes, probably equally well, um, that could have just taken place in their heads when they met, whenever Galadriel mm -hmm. spoke to them mm -hmm. in all of their heads, like they could have done it that way. And since they had the mind reading thing anyway, at the mirror, it was just like another way of doing it and wasn't necessary, but. What about you, Byers? Did you have anything that you um, you know, I think we hit them all, you know, I mean, I had forgotten about the one you mentioned outside the cave that could have gone. Um, some of that stuff with Gladrill is definitely, it slows down a little too much through that part almost. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's some important stuff and it's, it's interesting that like some of the stuff they added in for the extended edition, I thought was better than some of the stuff they left in originally. Like, mm -hmm. what'd you leave that in for and cut this stuff? Like that's, that's mm -hmm. good stuff. So, right. Um, but no, for the most part, it's, it's, it can all stay like, there's no, there's no huge like red flag, like, oh, this scene's terrible. Like there's nothing you just want to like fast forward past and skip past every time or anything for the most yeah. part. What about uh, plot holes or? or... Um, do dwarves not talk to each other at all? Cause Gimli wants to go see his cousin or whoever, right? Like, and these guys have been dead a long time. Like <laughs> this is not like, hey, last week these uh, orcs came in and goblins came in and took over this mine. No, this was like years and years and years ago. It feels like, um, like has there been no one that made that trek over to go visit cousin uh, Balin over there in 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 his tomb in his mine? Well, uh, I would say just the whole passage of time, period, in all of the movies is just handled abysmally it seems like everything just like oh that happened last week but when in reality in the books like you're saying it was like those guys have been dead a long time but the problem was nobody had heard of them heard from them in a long time so that's why Gimli wanted to go to Moria was to be the person to check on Balin because nobody had heard heard from any of those guys in a couple of years and part of it was the world had grown so dangerous that it was difficult to travel and you know that was before email and cell phones so it's like you've got to travel for days to go check on your cousin it's not like you just got to send him a text and so yeah i mean but i think that whole passage of time even like from the time that bilbo leaves the shire to when frodo leaves the shire is 50 years in the book it's 50 years and it seems like it's what like a week in the yeah. movie and like the whole time that Gandalf is imprisoned by Sauron for like a year or two. And that's part of why Frodo took 50 years to leave the Shires because 
Gandalf went to go check on if it's the ring and then stopped by Sauron's place because he thinks it's the ring and then Sauron imprisons him because Sauron. Sorry, Sauron. And then and then, you know, like five minutes later, he's back in, you know, there because in the whole thing, he comes back and tells Frodo to leave rather than well, I guess it, does that happen in the movie? He does come back and tell him to yeah. leave. Because mm-hmm. he goes, Is but it like it was safe? like a week, but it was like 50 years. And then, you know, Sauron you know, Gandalf goes off again. And then even when Frodo is leaving and picking up his friends gallivanting through the Shire, like that took weeks because he was moving from Bag End to Crick Hollow, but it doesn't even do that whole part. Like, and then the whole thing going through the old forest, so they complete like just the whole passage of time, like this journey, even to the end of this book, that was already like nine months of a journey, not counting the 50 years at the beginning between when Bilbo disappears and Frodo inherits the ring and he actually leaves the Shire. And so it's just crazy that like that whole passage of time thing is so distorted throughout the whole movies. That's one of my biggest quibbles. I love it because um, you just saying that just made me remind, remind me of like falling asleep reading the book. So (laughs) like that, that's one thing that I'll I'll say like as a movie goer, like I'm like, okay, like they probably could have slotted something in, but at least like kind of spending. That's where that's where Tolkien's like just he's just he's a it. little bit too deliberate, like in his um, in his storytelling, and especially like because he loves um, loves 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 to describe like nature. Like that's the other thing. It's like both of those things are just kind of work against me that's why i love reading through harry potter so much because it's just so quick and so pop culture so like well, and, and i mean a lot of that has to do with when they were written i mean when Tolkien's yeah, writing these yeah. life was slower they had slower. to come up with, yeah. with email and and uh, text messaging and all that <laughs> stuff that gimli couldn't do anyway by the way because dwarf fingers cannot text like there's no way that's working <laughs> talk um, about fat fingering <laughs> he's he's messing that up and cutting in half with his axe and within five minutes that, that cell phone's not last <laughs> Um, one of my uh, quibbles is that how can you not tell that Saruman's a bad guy like Orthanc Tower just screams evil right or or, or does it does it change like it was its, always its outward like, appearance it was always that like onyx like that slick back uh-huh. black rock mm-hmm. but it used to be like surrounded by a garden and like beautiful and it is that first time that Gandalf rides up to see Sourman at the beginning, mm-hmm. it, it's like a lush, beautiful garden when he rides through, you know, the ring right. of mm-hmm. Orth, uh, the ring of Isengard mm. up to the Tower of Orthanc. Mm-hmm. It, like it's beautiful and lush, and but that's also, you know, a Tolkien theme that he's writing in there is this whole like nature versus industry, mm-hmm. like you know, as, as Sauron, Sourman turns to the dark side, he starts, you know, defiling all of Isengard by cutting down all the trees mm. and feeding these fires and having all these engines and filth and mm-hmm. pollution and all of that kind of stuff. Um, we needed the aerial shot of Isengard beforehand. Like you get Gandalf riding up to it, but like if you had seen that mm. whole mm-hmm. big yeah. ring full of trees at the beginning, then it would it'd stand out more when you get to two towers and it's all emptied out. Yeah, um, full of orcs and pits. Well, and also, as soon as you cast Christopher Lee as someone, like, he's a bad guy, right? Like, I mean, right. is Christopher <laughs> Lee, like, we're talking about one of, like, the greatest villains 
actors mm-hmm. ever. I mean, like you just go through the list of villains he's played. Like it's ridiculous. Uh, another one that I had was that the Nazgul um, graduated from the Prometheus school of running away from things. Um, this is a nod to CinemaSins. If uh, you've ever watched the CinemaSins video. So Prometheus, like this big, like massive uh, uh, stone is falling straight down. And like the person runs straight with it instead of running to the side, to the left or to the right. And so I felt like the Nazgul, like as they're in the river, like they could have just went back and they're like, no, we're going to go with the river. The river. Yeah. <laughs> that, that one like really, really bugged me. Um, did you guys have any other ones? It, it's a little creepy that Liv Tyler and Viggo Mortensen are 22 years apart in age in real life. She's an elf. So, I mean, it, it plays it plays a part. She's supposed to look all way younger and stuff. But that was just creepy. It just struck me when I'm watching. I'm like, how old are they? Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. 22 years. All right. Man, I never noticed that. But Arwen is older than Aragorn. Yeah. In the book. <laughs> oh, actually, right. I, do have, talked- I do have one more. Sorry. Yeah. I forgot. I have one more. Are orcs? Who's, who's more Annette? Orcs or stormtroopers, by the way? Because, like... They send hundreds of these guys after what nine of them, and it, nine. actually eight by that time because Gandalf's already gone. Like mm-hmm. they just like cut these guys down by like dozens with like no problem. Like they right. take out almost this whole group of them. There's like four of them. Like can they not raise a, a better? And four four of those eight are hobbits. <laughs> yeah, and these hob- and this is before they figure out how to do anything and they don't throw rocks yet because if a, ro- a hobbit throws a rock then it's deadly but otherwise they don't right. know what to do um <laughs> they're just so inept i mean we'll say just... that that hobbit rock deadliness is canon that's in the book <laughs> <laughs> it's in the chapter concerning hobbits it talks about how they're they're remarkably uh sharp with a uh with a rock oh they don't play it up as much in lord of the rings as they do in the hobbit like in hobbit there's just a horrible like He's just taking out guys left and right with like pebbles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous, but they're just, they're just so inept. Like orcs are just so bad and die so easily. It seems like, like you couldn't, you're pulling them out of the poop over there, Saruman. You couldn't train them up a little better, but. <laughs> and they're wearing all that orc armor that none of the good guys are wearing, but yeah, it can't stop anything. Apparently. doesn't matter when you're being decapitated. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Or being shot in the eye by Legolas. Yeah. When Legolas <laughs> is shooting you, your armor doesn't help. And no. have has a movie gotten away with so much violence that stayed PG thirteen um other than this movie? Ooh, probably not. It's up there. I mean, like we have like multiple decapitations, mm-hmm. like there's some brutal yeah. looking and stuff, it's, but it's like yeah, yeah, it's put under like the whole fantasy violence thing. Yeah. Like, but yeah. And other than like the poop gore, there's not like blood or guts for the most part. It's the it's like black blood, like right. whenever like yeah. But there's no like spurting or anything. It's not yeah. like gratuitous. Yeah, true. They don't pull off yeah. any of the moves yeah. like a, like Braveheart has a scene where like it actually spatters on the camera lens, like for just a yeah. second, you know. Like there's none of that in, yeah. in Lord of the Rings. So all right, this is uh, Laurie's already kind of in some of uh, uh, the the book is always better um, talking too. So I think some of these have kind of come out, but this is her, yeah. this is her studio space to uh, to uh, Laurie's soapbox. Yeah. So. I've already talked about Tom B- Tom Bombadil, as my dad would say it, or Tom Bombadil, as other people might pronounce it. Uh, that just 
taking his whole part, he was pretty central to the book and pretty central to the idea that not everybody is affected by the ring, which was kind of one of his biggest purposes is he puts it on his finger and it doesn't do anything. Like it doesn't make him invisible. He doesn't go to the shadow world. He's immune to its evil. Um, and he is able to help the hobbits at a time. He kind of served a lot of uh, the historical purposes that Galadriel's, uh, you know, prologue dialogue was. Um, that was Tom Bombadil explaining things to the hobbits. Um, so that whole part, like it was still kind of in the movies, but just not him. And that was kind of frustrating. And then I already talked about how, you know, Arwen basically absorbed the entire like role of Glorfindel. Um, you need to talk about why you're mad that uh, Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadillo is not in the movie. Because he's hilarious. No, no, no. You, there's one one thing that you you that you always talk about that we needed in the what well, was his horse's name? The horse that he loans to Sam is named Fatty Bulger. And it's like the greatest name of any character in the history of time, Fatty Bulger. Or no, Fatty, Fatty Bulger. Lumpkin. Is, Fatty Lumpkin is this horse. Sorry, there's so many fatties that got like... cut out of the movie. <laughs> And it's just depressing. So they, Fatty they Bulger make... is one of the other hobbits that's one of Frodo's friends. <laughs> they, that they completely cut out his part. They out make of the a Shire. reference to him in extended edition. They though. do make a reference to Fatty Bulger. He's at he's at Bilbo's party. That's right. the only Fatty mm -hmm. Bulger reference you get. So Fatty Bulger's gone, and he helped show like the passage of time. Uh, that Ooh. was one of my. Yeah. Um, and then Fatty Lumpkin, his horse that he gives to Sam, and it's just like that. Just why you got to cut all the fatties out of the movie? <laughs> like we, the fatties made it to the book, but we didn't make it yeah. to the movie. So that whole part just hurts my heart. Peter Jackson, fatty, yeah. fatty, fatty shaming out here. Yeah. Peter Jackson doesn't like fatties apparently. Hot kettle. Um. <laughs> and then, yeah, just the whole old forest after they escaped the Shire and the ring race, going through the old forest and just learning that there's other perils in the world besides Sauron and learning that there's other good guys in the world besides the elves and the dwarves and the men. Um, like just thinking about the fact that there's other people in Middle Earth besides our main characters. Uh, I think it, we really missed that perspective, but they did do some of the scenes from the old forest. We'll see later in Fanghorn. Um, when we get to two towers, but mm -hmm. it, they didn't make it in this book uh, or in this movie. But again, the book is always better and it just explains things so much more. And it tells you all about the colors of the trees and the grass and the flowers, which I know you guys just really love and enjoy. I felt like that's where like the Hobbit doesn't do anything better than the Lord of the Rings, except for maybe that, like that the forest is like a much more dangerous place than Lord of the Rings in Mirkwood. In, like it makes it yeah. seem, you know, like obviously Mirkwood is different, but like, yeah, like anytime you go into a forest in like Middle Earth, it's a bad place, you know? Well, it's not necessarily a bad place, but it's dangerous if or you dangerous, don't know the yeah, danger. Yeah. It's sometimes it's a very wholesome danger, but if you don't understand it and you don't know the rules, you, yeah. you can yeah. run into trouble quick. Like they try and talk about it in Two mm. Towers. But then they just walk through the forest with no problems. Like nothing actually happens right. to them. Like they talk about being careful, but yeah, Gimli has to lower his ax that one time, but otherwise they're fine. <laughs> of course they're with an elf. So that, that helps. They're with a wood elf who can. That always helps. Who travels in Middle Earth without an elf? That's what I want. I'm not going anywhere without an elf. Handy in a tight spot. All right. So that's 
that's most of it. Just some of my favorite char- characters, Fatty Lumpkin, Fatty Bulger, and Tom, Bomb- Tom Bombadil didn't make it. All right, breakout performance. I've got, I've got three that, um, actually I've got two. I've got two. I don't, this one snuck yeah. in accidentally. There, I mean, there, there's a second one for me that in most movies you could make a case for, but he just gets overshadowed so badly. I mean, Viggo Mortensen yeah. has kind yeah. of, but it fizzles and it doesn't really go as big as it could have gone. Oh, you think, you think it's not Vigo? I think it's not Vigo. Whoa. Cause say, I, I have two, Vigo's one of them. Orlando Bloom. Yeah, Orlando's my other. Yeah. So it's both of those. I think Vigo blows Orlando Bloom out of the water. No, like because say movie. Orlando Bloom is mostly eye candy in this he in this is, one. So, so okay. This, when I was a youth pastor right at, while these movies were coming out. None of my teenage girls were swooning over Vigo Mortensen. Okay, because they're I had twelve. I'm aware of this, but I'm just <laughs> saying. You have to be a woman of a certain age to appreciate the Vigo. Uh, I think I think Orlando Bloom lasts longer after this, though. Like it goes on to bigger and better, like more big things. Like what does Vigo do that's close to pirate? Vigo definitely, uh, he didn't do as much with his fame, but I think he does better as a breakout performance here. And I think he does better as a breakout performance. And he, he goes on to make a bunch of better movies than not in more successful movies than yeah. pirates. He became more what of else a movie is Vigo in that you from... like so much. What's that? What else does Vigo do that you like so much? Oh, you've never seen Hidalgo or A History of Violence? I hated or... A History of Violence. Oh! I thought that was an awful movie. Oh, okay. And I'm pretty sure I fell asleep during Hidalgo. Okay. Um, he was in Green Book. Did you see Green Book? Where he won an Oscar, even though that was completely Oscar bait like, yeah, that was... type of movie. Like, he was good in it. But, okay, here's the thing. With Orlando Bloom, he broke out in this, but as we watched through all of these... He has like maybe 15 to 20 lines of dialogue. He just does cool stuff. He does. Like he, he, oh, he's it's, it's a actor. shallow breakout. If you want to say yeah. which, which one has more depth and which one goes on yeah. to do more serious stuff. Sure. It's Vigo, but like, okay. It's a shallow. So we're just breakout. arguing different things. Right. Well, and Vigo yes. had been around a while before this. So I don't know if this is his breakout. I mean, it's definitely his biggest role. He had done He'd been around, whereas Orlando, like he came from nowhere. Like he was not a thing until yeah. this movie. Like Vigo was still kind of a thing. He just wasn't as big a thing. But that's why he broke out. Yeah. I it's kind of like the Josh Brolin, like 30 years later breakout. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, all right. I feel like we've uh, beaten the uh, Vigo Mortensen, Orlando Bloom. Uh, right. So who is it though? Who's the breakout? We disagree. We disagree. All right. I'm Irish gonna, says Orlando. You I say, say Am I the tiebreaker? Not necessarily. We're just telling who, uh, what we like. It's no yeah. win. It's no win. We don't have to come to a group consensus. We just happen to do it every other time we talk. Yeah. We disagreed know. before. We have. I say both. I Orlando say, and I say Vigo. both. I say both. I say both. Give them both a gold star. All right. Uh, let's move on to iconic moment. We always we always caveat this with not every movie will have one, but good oh, grief, man. like you could probably go through a million um, on 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 this one. So we'll we'll continue to go round robin and trade until somebody says like they're tapped out. So we'll go with uh, Lori first. 
All right. So when Isildur cuts the ring off of Sauron's hand during the, the prologue and Sauron like implodes and like all of the dudes fall down in like a concentric ring around him. Like that was when it was like, yes, like, yes, <laughs> that was, yeah, that was it. The the moment where Frodo's standing on the road and the leaves swirl up right before Ooh, the comes, that like yeah. that was on all kinds of ads. That was on all, like, just him standing there and this like ominous feeling coming on. And that's um, a really cool camera shot, like zooming out super fast. Yeah, it's awesome. I have uh, Gandalf um, and the Balrog where he like puts his staff down and says, you shall not pass. Like, and it like stands up to its full height to like mm -hmm. challenge him. Yep. I had what Laurie talked about, the, the War of the Ring intro, but like specifically like like what you talked about was like literally what I thought about, even though I didn't like say like uh, the shards of Narsal and uh, right, his broken, uh, sword. Uh, broken sword. Any other ones? I have a weird one that just sticks out to me uh, right after there's this moment at the last battle when the orcs are all coming where Aragon walks kind of walks around the corner. And it's just mm, the way it shoots the sword. It with the sword and the orcs yeah. all coming towards him. I mean, some of it is just, this is how Peter Jackson films. Like he goes yeah. for these iconic yeah. little shots mm -hmm. all the time. And so there's a bunch of them, but. So I put some of those in, yeah, I put some of those in the technical, uh, the technical slash cinematography nerd stuff. I kind of put a couple, I put that exact same shot, the slow-mo shot of Aragorn before the Ammon head and battle starts. Like, yeah. Like I, I, I kind of cheated that. That's almost like my iconic moment, like uh, yeah. honorable mentions. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I've got those all under like favorite score moment. Cause it's usually like the combination of the Ooh, visual, yeah. the shot mm -hmm. and the score. Like, yeah, yeah that's where the good stuff is. Um, so before we get there, um, or which, which one would you say? But I think, I think Frodo standing on the roads would have to win for me. Like that just, especially for this movie, like specifically, mm -hmm. like, just it very, it, that starts it the journey for you. The journey yeah. started. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Gandalf and the Balrog is just too like that one. That one's, it's just, I had that one down too. Yeah, yeah. The Emperor Palpatine Unlimited Power Award for overacting. I've got two and a half people. <laughs> uh, it's it's hard um and and that wasn't even just a short joke um but you're probably gonna think afterwards that it's a short joke so i've got arwen because like like when she's during the chase scene like her only scene in this like if you want him come and claim, claim him, him. Yeah, yeah it's just very later on she's fine like like uh, two towers return of the king like she plays it pretty pretty straight but like for some reason she just really turns it up to 11 in this one uh saruman is just it's christopher lee yeah it's christopher lee. what he does yeah i didn't even i didn't even count him because it's just christopher lee like <laughs> yeah he's on which is team. ironic he's on yours too yeah that we name this after palpatine and yet dooku's like really good at it too so yeah that's true <laughs> um, and then and then gimli like and that's that's where the half like it, i did but I'm like almost like I don't want to because it's like it's he's like the and he's not in the books. He's not the comic relief in the books, but yeah. he, it's like he's like <clears throat> Peter Jackson's made a very like he made a choice, made a choice like, hey, 
I got Jonathan Reese Davies. Like he's got the comic chops to do this. Like to be serious, but also bring in right, bring in a little levity into serious situations. Yeah. So I mean, it's like yeah, it's what it. they want him to do, but like he does does ham it up. Like like. <laughs> Maybe I'm just thinking too much of like Two Towers and Return so I, of the King. Yeah. So I had Sourman, obviously, but then I also had Gandalf. I think there's a couple of parts where he like puts on the cheese a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially like in the first scene with Frodo, I think some of that like, and part of it, some of it just you're getting used to those characters, but it, it's a little, it's a little, uh, can be a little corny, the some of those discussions. And then my next one was Hugo Weaving during the Council of Elrond scene. And I think Hugo Weaving is kind of like uh, Christopher Lee in that he can really just overdo what he's doing. He's from like the William Shatner school of dramatic pauses. Why did we not name this after William Shatner? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So because Hugo Weaving kind of uh, played played the Shatner bit there for Council of Elrond, uh, he he made my list um i have i have bilbo on my list um for the mostly for the moments especially when frodo's wearing the ring and he like goes after it and like oh the psycho creepy yes, the psycho bilbo creaky face. bilbo is just like goes from zero to a thousand in like half a second too um so it's up there uh, so I have bilbo uh and then boromir i have boromir when he starts crying after he chases frodo like he's just yeah, like pretty good too a little it's a little much it's a little it's a it's a lot to swallow right there when he's like crying and freaking out with the leaves all over his his dirty hair so no i agree with you on that i think that that boromir could have been a little less uh corny with his remorse after he attacks frodo and tries to take the ring from him yeah rest of the time he's great but just that one little scene he's just a little much so yeah no one no one like really like, most of them are just like out. scenes like scene, in yeah. this scene this guy's a little much. like nobody does it the whole time yeah right but i think that if anybody does do it more than others it would probably be saruman yeah so i think i would just just because he gets the most face time and most of his scenes he's a little corny yeah 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 okay um so moving on to our technical slash cinematography nerd stuff like I said at the top of this, like you could really spend like an entire podcast mm -hmm. on some of the behind the scenes stuff, the technical stuff, cinematography. Um, but we'll just kind of go through some of our favorite um, little nuances, nerdy stuff. Um, I had uh, Get Off the Road. Um, I have that one too. Uh, the get off the road quick shot yeah, that Frodo, you talked about. Frodo standing on the road. Yeah, that you talked about in the iconic moment, Byers. Um, what else did you guys have? I had that one. I had um, the overhead shot of them running across the bridge, Akaza Doom, where like the camera like almost does a one eighty from like sitting going from behind them to over the top of them to watching them mm. run from the front. I as, thought that one the, was just as a the cool. towers are like running into each other, right? Like as everything's like. As the chair, as the stairs are like yeah. collapsing mm -hmm. and stuff, mm -hmm. yeah, just yeah. that overhead shot of them running across the bridge of Khazad Doom before the Balrog like confrontation with yeah. Gandalf. I thought that scene was super cool, and then kind of continuing on that, that the arrow shot mm. to 
to shoot the, is it Legolas or is it yeah, it's Legolas. That, yeah. that shoots the arrow and you follow the arrow like straight into the orc's head. It, the, like that, that was stinking cool. Just a cool way of shooting a fight scene to make it a little more personal for that one poor orc that got it right between the eyes. But hey, somewhere somebody's just, yeah. telling people, that's me. I'm the orc that got shot in the face <laughs> on that long shot by Legolas. Um. Yep. Um, there's just so many cool ways that they shoot stuff that overhead stuff, like the way they shoot it has this cool way of going. It's got lots of like these big, huge shots that make you feel how this world is really huge. But then at the same time, it comes back with those like very personal shot, like close up Mm -hmm. things. And it does a good job of balancing those things so that you get both perspectives. Like you very much connect with these people very personally and very close like here's the fellowship and here's where we're worried but it also reminds you constantly that they're part of this huge huge world um and they do a really good job of just the way they shoot it makes this whole movie feel important and big and i just keep coming back to the word epic when i think about lord of the rings Mm -hmm. and so i mean that really is what it does yeah one of the other ones i really like is um at the Council of Elrond, when you see the ring sitting there and they're all arguing and you're you're watching them in the reflection of the ring and then like the fire, like just to show that the ring is sowing dissension amongst all of these people who are trying to decide what to do with it. Like just the foreshadowing and like just the the way it was shot, the the fact that it's in a reflection and it's kind of distorted that way off of, you know, the gold of the ring, like that just, and then you can hear the ring whispering underneath. Like it just brings in like all of these visual and audio elements that like just, I mean, they t- every single shot tells a story and it's cool. Yeah. The, the ring whispering and like the rings, like, like heartbeat almost you can mm. feel mm-hmm. like in that, you know, like it's so cool that like they make the ring like a character. Yeah. Um, so well as they should. Uh, one of the, the, my favorite shots um, is when Strider, when they meet Strider and the Prancing Pony and he's all the way in the back um, and they do this really tight zoom, like he's, they see his face, but then it gets really like close up to his eyes and his face is lit by the coals of his pipe. I've always like, I just, I know it's like a really like uh, quick scene there, but I, I love that visual. He's just like this, like unknown, this like yeah. shadow guy, like, and you're not you're not sure you don't know if he's a good guy or a bad bad guy guy. and yeah i just thought that that was a a really cool one and then the slow-mo shot of aragorn before the Amon hen battle starts we talked about that but then uh in that same battle that overhead continuous shot of them running in the woods yeah like where Mm -hmm. it starts like at the top of the hill and it goes through and you just see like and you and you see I how think, many orcs yeah. and how many like bad guys are chasing just a couple and of... none of that's cgi and that's what i think is just so cool because it's all people like walking through and running through that shot and they're just doing it over and over again until they get it like perfect i see like those are more like uh impressive than some of the okay we painted this on a computer cool <laughs> you know <laughs> so well, that's what you know I mean, we're, we're big Star Wars dorks, so we're there all the time. But, like, Star Wars can't pull that off the same way because everything's in space and, like, everything's mm-hmm. out. And, like, this is so, like, earthy because, like, you're mm-hmm. in the forest and you're running around. Like, there's so much nature and stuff because it's Tolkien and it's Middle Earth, you know, that it, if it keeps that groundedness even in the midst of doing all these crazy things. Yeah. It's really cool. 
And then again, just the Alan Lee set de designs that really bring those visual elements and combine that with the natural environment to create just, just beautiful things to look at. All right, favorite song or score moment? Oh, that is tough because the score is just tough. so good. Um, I really like the music during the Brie attack scene um, mm -hmm. when they're they're floating around. And I, I love the moment where the guy's hiding behind the bar. I don't know why that one all sticks out. Like, yeah. Um, but I mean, there's not even dialogue for most of that. It's just the music. Um, and so that, that one's really cool. Um, definitely high on the list. Yeah, I like... I like how they have musical themes for every place. Like they have the fellowship theme, it's the overall yeah. one that you hear, but they have the Shire sounds a certain way. And sometimes when you get those visuals of the hobbits, they play that Shire theme or, you know, Orthanc has its own music. The Nazgul have their own music, except for the screeching, I hate the screeching. <laughs> but, you know, the elves in Rivendell, they have a sound like you, whenever one of them, either when they're focusing on Legolas and he's talking about the elves or talking about Rivendell, like, they use music to set the mood or to bring your brain to what they want you to think about so well in this movie. Yeah. It's, um, it's very similar to what like John Williams does with Star Wars, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you've got Leia's theme, you've got Vader's theme, you've got Luke's theme, you've got Obi-Wan's theme. I, I, it was just a, it was a very, even though, I mean, flatter or uh, what is the... Uh, um. Imitation is imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, though, like Howard Shore does such a great job with every single one of those things, and it hits in almost every the the ones that stand out to me. Though I really wanted to kind of like put a million on here, but the second time you hear the Fellowship theme as they start out across the Misty Mountains, like you get it, like as like you were talking about the at the end um of uh rivendell like you get it like the and the fellowship of the ring and it's like it hits there but then like once they turn that corner across the misty mountains it was just like bah, 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 and you're just like yeah dude all right then like here it goes so i, I just i thought that one and then the saruman and or theme like it hits really hard because like it, it's meant to it can instill like this dread and this fear you know very almost as as uh um as well as like the the empire theme you know yeah so yeah it's right up there where like you hear these this music and you can picture all these things that it's talking like in specific people that it's talking about because it does tie them so well together I would say my favorite score moment is probably when you go from the battle at the bridge at Casa Doom and you've got, you know, the drums of the orcs beating through the score, you know, you've got this, yeah. and it's all this frantic thing and then Gandalf falls and then it's silence for several seconds while they're like, you know, exiting Moria mm -hmm. and they're kind of reeling from that and it's just, there's no sound at all. And then it go, fades into the Gandalf's lament that then carries you through into the scene in Lothlorien. Just the way they use music to portray the, you know, the frantic escape from Casa Doom and Gandalf's death and fall, and then just silence for the grief. And then it slowly fades into this beautiful elvish music that's then, you know, the sound of Lorien, which is also, you know, the sound of sadness in general, because mm, it's mm -hmm. an idea of a, you know, the elvish time is ending on Middle Earth. So it's kind of lamenting and sad anyway, but it's beautiful, but it like, 
it just it generates so many emotions through the music just for that whole like series of scenes <laughs> yeah. and they could have really dialed it up on that i mean we talked about dominic monaghan being in lost i think lost is like simultaneously the best and the worst at um uh doing song, the, the score using music because they use it really well but they know that they're using it really well it's like you knew every single week oh this is the scene where like loss is trying to make me cry because here come the here <laughs> yeah. comes here's the strings the, yeah. you know here's here's the violin and the cello and like and it's it just like you said it just allows for all of that to just hit you without manipulating you where music can easily manipulate you into feeling something that you're not yeah. necessarily it, it wasn't necessarily portrayed in the right way it can mm -hmm. it can make up for a lot of faults in that way and it's just like boom we're just gonna leave this out here and then kind of bring you back out of it yeah like, it feels very natural it. in this mm -hmm. movie like like it's not forced yeah. like it can be in some situations so yeah let's go on to uh spiritual metaphors and illustrations hmm. uh, we uh we'll try to keep it short we'll try, we'll, we'll try to keep it short we could um, go on and on um, it's, especially Byers did this as a, um, a, a viewing series with his, uh, youth group several times, right, Byers? Uh, a couple times. Yeah. We've, okay. we've delved into this. I mean, there's so much and Tolkien intended for there to be a lot because I mean, he wants to talk about evil and darkness and sin and temptation. I mean, and that's, that's a huge one. I mean, all the interactions people have with the ring, like mm -hmm. just so hits home on how how much we crave power, how the, the darkness that already exists in our own hearts and stuff. And it just plays on that. Like it's not inventing new stuff. It's just taking what's already in you and just trying to amplify it. And so um, trying to get you to focus on that. So there's, there's so much there about sin and temptation. That's really good. And so just some really cool pictures of like, this is what it looks like. Cause like when we're getting tempted, it's not, no one's pointing out, Hey, come this way. So you can all die and it can be terrible. Like, no, it looks like it's a good thing. Uh, there's even a line in there like it would seem like wisdom but it's not you know to take mm -hmm. the ring um and so lots of cool things about sin temptation um there's lots of cool little i mean galadriel straight up quotes some bible and says do not let your hearts be troubled at one point i mean there's yeah. some some very clear <laughs> stuff there um the point where where they're running from the balrog and uh gandalf tells him like swords are no more use here like there's just a really cool image of like spiritual warfare and like this isn't something you can do on your own this takes something more um the biggest one for me in this movie especially is always just like answering the call like choosing to follow choosing to serve um mm -hmm. you know that that whole line about we all have you know we can only choose what to do with the time that's given to us um i mean it's especially true for frodo obviously but it's really true for all of them like they're choosing yeah who they're going to serve they're choosing who they're going to follow and that's something we get asked and confronted with time and time again in scripture like who are you going to follow who are you going to be what are you going to let influence you so those are all big things that you see throughout this movie yeah it's it's interesting like uh tolkien talks a lot uh about like i mean he he was in like the same uh can't remember the book club or the little pipe smoking the club bird and the baby the inklings the inklings there we go uh, that the he, yeah <laughs> that uh c.s lewis was part of and some other um authors at the time that not, aren't necessarily as famous as those two but he didn't necessarily share like lewis's propensity for allegory i mean you but you can still glean all of these things i mean he talks through that but 
you're not going to get that like for like that you do with like Chronicles of Narnia, where it's like, yeah, uh, there's it's not very obvious that Aslan is like <laughs> a lion that is Aslan King Jesus, you know, dying <laughs> for Edmund as the you know, right. and comes back yeah. to like you know, yeah, it's not as yeah. it's not as blatant as, right. as Chronicles of Narnia, but it's just yeah. as deep and rich, I think. In some ways, right. I like that better. That right. you kind of have to you have to think a little more. Mm-hmm. um narnia kind of slaps you in the face especially lion witch in the wardrobe like yeah. it's just like obvious this is what the story is really about and like this isn't necessarily what the story is about in lord of the rings but it's so full of it like there's mm-hmm. just tons of it just just everywhere so i like the i i think there's a lot of corollaries to like pilgrim's progress um which is another literary you know biblical literary thing of just this idea of a journey they're going on this journey and the end goal is to get rid of sin, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the goal, right? Um, and the whole idea of, you know, the sinful nature and this, it, it's a choice they make, but it's not just a choice they make one time. They have to keep making that choice. They have several opportunities along the way to make a different choice, <laughs> but they still choose to, you know, bear that sin to where, you know, the whole idea of a savior figure that bears the sin to destroy it and, and save the whole world from sin, you know, that whole concept of, you know, the corruption of that power that it's, it does get harder as the journey goes on, it gets heavier. Um, There are times when it's, you know, unsurmountable for, for Frodo to continue bearing this burden and, and, and that the evil is calling to Frodo, as well as the others, she was calling to Aragorn, it's calling to Galadriel, it's calling to Gandalf. Every time they have a chance to try and seize this power, you know, the ring is trying to corrupt them and calling to them and that that they, you know, it does kind of make it more of a singular, singular choice for Gandalf and for, you know, Galadriel and for Aragorn. They want, you know, they, they're offered the ring. And that's the other thing that I think is just so silly that they do in the movie that they don't really do so much in the book is Frodo just keeps going around offering the ring to everybody like here, take this, here, take this. Um, But you you know that they all do have that one moment where they definitely have to decide, but they also have continuing moments where they have to support Frodo um, because he doesn't, you know, help me because I don't know the way like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, he needs people around him who can guide him on this journey. And so I think that just all of those, you know, that imagery is very true to life on on how we are surrounding ourselves with good counselors because we don't know what we're doing, making sure we've got people pouring into us and we're in turn pouring into others. You know, Frodo's the leader of the hobbits and he's also, you know, encouraging them and discipling them along the way, but he's got these mentors who are helping guide him um, and supporting him as he's bearing this huge burden of sin um, in order to save the world. But the only other thing that I would add to that, I mean, we didn't talk about Gandalf as Jesus, but he has a lot of like Jesus type imagery. It's not Zach, Zack Snyder and the Man of Steel uh, type um, imagery, but there's uh, there's little bits and pieces uh, throughout and stuff, especially like in the second one, whenever he, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like you were talking about with Aslan, he, he sacrifices himself, he dies, he's born again kind of thing, you know? Um, especially the white wizard in the white robe, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, that's very heavy handed um, iconography. Um, but uh, the fellowship as a community of believers is like we've all kind of talked about similar to disciples. I talked about like Judas 
uh, or uh, Gollum being like the Judas character in there. But of course, you can you can Boromir. correlate that to Boromir as well uh, in there as, uh, and, and kind of have those two similar situations. One silly one that I wrote that I couldn't just I couldn't get out of my mind uh, was Merry and Pippin using the rocks to fight the Urukai. I mean, it's just like yeah. they're the tiny guys, and David they're and these Goliath. these these giants, and it's yeah. David and Goliath. You I've know? got five stones. I mean, I all attribute that to uh, Xavier. Like he's he was big time. Like and once he like we were watching the movie, and he was like, "Hey, it's just like David and Goliath." And so I was like, and I couldn't <laughs> get awesome. out of my head. So um, I'll give him a shout out on that one. The uh, before they were stars, um, what. Uh, what do you have? Lori and I actually talked about this one because we were struggling with it. And so it'll be interesting to see what you come up with. Cause we have I, one that, that is personal, like that. I'm not sure that you've ever watched this show before. I just, I didn't, I didn't have any. And, and mostly I keep thinking like, is it possible to come out of this? If you're going to be a star, is it, can you be in Lord of the Rings and not be a star after this? Like, I mean, like this is kind of one of those big deal things. It's I mean, really hard. Right. Which is so why hard, like, I got we nobody. Yeah, we were reaching uh, Brett McKenzie from Flat of the Concords, which is like a New Zealand um, HBO show that was pretty big, like in like the mid 2000s, um, is the only thing I could come up with. He's like part of this uh, uh, elf. He's part of the Wood Elves. Um, they actually gave him like the fans gave him a name. Um, oh, my gosh. What was it? It was like anyway basically like that he was a cute elf like that was that went along with the um the people that were going to the gray havens and he shows up again in return of the king because peter jackson was like people loved this guy i don't know why let's just put him back in the movie again you know like he shows up at the top of uh um uh when aragorn is uh is crowned crowned king and arwen shows up so that's the only thing that I could come up with. Do you have that same one? Um, I have that later, but oh, okay. um, for this one, I really thought like Dominic Monaghan and Billy Boyd, they had really not really been in anything. Like the rest of the guys, they had been in some stuff before, but they like Mary and Pippin, they came, they did not have a long IMDB before Lord of the Rings. And they definitely have a pretty impressive one after. <laughs> So I decided they kind of fit this fit bill, this bill. Uh, the most in that, you know, Vigo and Orlando, they hadn't done much, but they had done stuff. You, you, you had seen them before. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Billy Boyd and Dominique Monaghan, you'd never really seen before, but they, they got some pretty good stuff after this. So did you say that anybody parsed? No, I didn't have anybody. You didn't have anybody. Okay. No, not on before okay. they were stars now. Okay. All right. I know that we've talked about this for close to two hours now. Right, do you have any random thoughts? I, I um, think I think that uh, I've got like one little thing here. Uh, I have I have four little things. I think still in my random thoughts. I haven't got to. Um, how much did we've talked a lot about Harry Potter already? But how much did <laughs> Rowling borrow? Oh from man, the One Ring for the idea of Horcruxes, especially like and yeah. tons of other stuff too. But like that one really stuck out this time now um like oh man like he he put himself into the ring like he lives in this thing and um it was so big um did they camp at the three stone trolls at one point like did they show that there was this, yes. this brief shot where they're camping and i'm like wait were those the trolls yes okay those trolls, yeah and sam, sam says. yeah sam says in the extended edition it's like a real it's like an extended version uh 
uh, of that same scene that he goes, oh, look, it's Mr. Bilbo's trolls. Yeah, when he's trying to get Frodo, who's like passing into the shadow world because he got stabbed on Weathertop. He's trying to like distract him. Yeah, there's like other things going on, so it's easy to miss it. Yeah. Um, I love when Saruman calls Gandalf a stoner um, by telling him (laughs) that love of Halfling's Leaf has clouded your mind. Um, (laughs) That's one of my quibbles later when they turn Longbottom Leaf, basically. It's called Pipeweed. (laughs) Right, it's tobacco. I know, but it's, it's tobacco, called tobacco, but they turned it into pot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just have to ask this this applies to all of these movies and The Hobbit. What are the chances of throwing your ring in the air and catching it on your finger accidentally? I just want to know. Like, can you even do that? Can you pull that off? That's like that's like fast and the furious level ridiculousness. I'm gonna um, do it today. So that goes back to like the ring being a character. The ring wanted to be found. And was See, trying to expose if, Bilbo. So the ring's trying Bilbo. to go on someone's finger. That that does help a little bit. It's a little bit alive. But it's always just like that moment where they're falling down or something. And it just perfectly slips on their finger. Always kills me. <laughs> and in the book, so. his hand is in his pocket and he's fidgeting it. And then he falls down and accidentally slips it on. See, that, that works a little better. Like you're messing with it. It's in your pocket. Oh, man. Yeah. It fell you just on. can't visually. You're not falling down in the middle of the bar <laughs> backwards yeah. trying to grab it. I think hobbits should just be receivers if they have this good of hands. Like if they can just catch a ring on their finger falling down, just think what they could do with a football. So that's right. It's true. Those big old feet would always be in bounds. (laughs) The one last random thought that I had, the entire trilogy is the most nominated film franchise with 30 nominations, as opposed to uh, the Godfather had 29 and uh, Star Wars had 21. Uh, Whose movie is it? We'll go with Lori first. Vigo. Fires. I got to go Frodo. I think this is by far Frodo's best movie of the three. Um, and so I, I give it to Frodo. This one's his. Mine is like a tie between Peter Jackson because Peter Jackson and his team like put together such a an amazing adaptation of what people largely thought was uh, going to be unfilmable. And just, I mean. Well, he built industries. Right. Like. Weta, Weta Workshop. Yeah, I mean, like, he spun companies and entire industries out of this. Motion capture CGI, all the Mm -hmm. set set making and costuming and prosthetics for faces. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was it was huge. Um, It was a huge undertaking and And huge risk and huge risk. Yeah, it could have all like it could have completely bombed and new line would have like yeah belly up belly up and been like uh, this would have been like the aragon uh movies where they were just like oh one and nope we're not doing the rest nope, of those. no more yeah. yeah we've got plenty of those examples like they do the first of these and it flops and no right. more but yeah, and they spend a ton of money on it too so i think just vigo's star making role and like how much he, even though Frodo's very, very close into it, I almost had Frodo on there, but I think he gives a better performance uh, later on. Um, see, I wouldn't even say like all Elijah Wood. I would say just his eyes. <laughs> Elijah Wood's Baby Blues. That's whose movie it is. And so, so that for me, it would be it would be Peter Jackson and Vigo in a very tight, uh, uh, tight race. Actually, so. I just want to say Vigo because. Yeah, he'll come up later in a different movie. 
I was yeah. trying to spread the love. I, I feel like uh, the last little bit of extended editions talk we already hit on, this one probably benefits the most from the extension, even though like Return of the King has some good stuff. It's just so long that like you're just like, oh, okay. It's too much almost at that point. Should have been two movies. It should have been two movies, um, especially uh, Return of the King. But it, I still like how much it, it explains a lot of the backstory that you were talking about. It's not critical stuff, but it, it, it helps um, pull, pull together some of those unanswered questions that you had from the theatrical release. Yep, so. definitely. And then um, just a little timekeeping thing if you want to uh, watch the uh, extended edition it clocks in at uh, three hours and 28 minutes which is 30 minutes more than the theatrical version so if you're jared bridge and you don't want to watch any more lord of the rings that sounds like 30 more minutes of torture <laughs> jared if you're listening you just made it through two hours of lord of the rings conversation in a yes podcast that, and you uh, don't even notice like it's so yeah. spread out amongst the whole <laughs> and, movie and you and don't nobody, notice and nobody shared your favorite quote jared oh gandalf <laughs> <laughs> so. this, this is the movie that you and Jared oh, almost we, came to blows yeah. in the lobby of uh the movie theater because yeah, century yeah. because jared was mocking it so mercilessly afterwards he did not enjoy the film yeah he couldn't get over and this is this is something that i mean i can i can understand like it's not especially since we can talk about it on the Faleo podcast. This is a huge and a great description of brotherly love, right? Like the all fellowship of the, the ring. The fellowship of the ring. Fellowship. And I think that they played it a little bit too um, light in the loafers, so to speak, that it was just very easy. It was a very easy target to be like, oh, why are these guys acting uh, like it, so lovey-dovey in this way towards each other when it's, really meant to be like oh like it's it's of a time comrades, you know they're right. comrades you know they're and that's they're what hobbits battle together yeah hobbits weren't like these battle hardened guys right. they were just like hey what's up my friends i love you you know <laughs> right. like those types of things so and hobbits love nature food and each other and it's not yeah yeah it was it was they're not it, there to decapitate orcs all the time right so those are those are the kind of the tough beats that I could understand where it took people out of the the experience, but ultimately I'm over, I'm able to overlook some of those things and be like, yeah, it's it's a little ham fisted, it's a little cornball in certain areas, especially like when they say their goodbyes in uh, Return of the King. Oh, it, like, okay. It comes, See, it comes, yeah, it we, comes back it, again. It goes a little too yeah. far when you get to Return of the King, but we'll yeah, like this one, it's not so bad. It's, yeah. it's not much. All right. Well, thank you to Lori for explaining some of the things that uh, us people that aren't diehards about the books uh, so that you can have some representation on this podcast so that buyers and I don't just tear it to shreds um, with uh, this is dumb. This is dumb. I don't like the books. <laughs> so I'm, I hope you uh, you had a good time hearing uh, Lori uh, on the side of the, the book lovers in this uh, this podcast. So that's all we've got uh, for this week. We're going to be doing, of course, the two towers here coming up soon, and then on to Return of the King that we mentioned. And uh, if you have any questions or thoughts or comments, so go ahead and hit us up on the Facebook page at the Phileo Podcast or our uh, email at phileopodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at Phileo Podcast, all one word. Good job, Fires. Good job. Good brownies. Good brownies, Lori. Good brownies.